You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast, season 11, episode 27. I'm John, and joined by fellow regular Ross. How are you doing? Um, I'm all right. Not as good as after hearing Gerard news, but oh, that's it. Uh, see, I thought you were going to like wait there and see if I was like giving you a dig, saying you are a regular. But oh uh, well, mm. <laughs> well, my, my, my second appearance, so I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like uh, I was it injured? So, I was it injured? So yeah, you, you were busy. You were otherwise occupied, but you're you're all good now. You're, there's no stress. Uh, I wasn't going to miss what this. What was going on? No, exactly, exactly. Aye, well, cheers, Ross, for stealing the the thunder. Aye, so Sorry, tonight is uh, no, it's cool. It's alright. Aye, that's how it goes, right? So, um, Stuart asked me before if you can swear on the podcast. Well, fuck, aye, you can. Um, so tonight we have uh, a guest who is associated with the biggest football game, as far as I'm concerned, that there is. And we had Derek Gray on there, like FIFA. Yeah, FIFA is a big deal, but for anoraks, or not just anoraks, for someone that would love to be a football manager, football manager is the game. So, head research, team manager for Scotland, and writer, Stuart Milne. Not Stuart Milne that was at Aberdeen, by the way. Because there was a bit of confusion. I was telling folks Stuart Milne's coming on the podcast, and I'm like, oh, that's an interesting one. But more interesting, we've got you, Stuart. How you doing? I'm all right. It's usually usually around this time of night, I'm falling asleep on the couch. So, um, I'm going to stay awake for it tonight. So, hopefully, if you if I get quiet, you'll know why. Aye, well, please do stay awake because it would probably make for a shit podcast if you fall asleep, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so, aye, good to have you on. And we've got returning guest, third, eh, third appearance. So, more regular than Ross, actually, this aye. season, um, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, how you doing? Yeah, no bad, mate, no bad yourself. Aye, good, aye, aye. And we should say, let, let, let's get this out here straight away because we love a plug on the podcast, we love a promo. And we're going to promo Football Manager enough anyway, and it gets enough promotion. Jeff, your book, Scotland's Lost Clubs, yes. came out on Monday. I have 10 copies. Not that I bought them all myself in my house. Um, I didn't buy them all by myself, but most of them. Uh, yeah, it's, it came out on Monday, I believe, through sources. Uh, it's already sold out on Amazon, which is some going, because it's still available elsewhere. Uh, so go to... Other big major bookstores or support your local one, that's a better idea. But yeah, it's available in most places and yeah, go buy it. I'm a student these days, so go buy it. <laughs> student discount? Uh, well, I, 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 <laughs> yes. No, I, as Ross can vouch, uh, if you're an author with a certain publisher that published my book, they, you can get most of the books for half price that they do. So if you do want a book by that publisher, give us a shout and I'll get it for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I, tell us, obviously you've been on before, we did touch on a wee bit about the book. Tell us a wee bit about it for those that don't know. Right, so the book's basically of, since 1890, where league football's created in Scotland, there have been 37 clubs featured in the league that are no longer with us um, due to a multiple of reasons that some of them are genuinely interesting. Some of them are just, they got old. Um, so, 
at the time when I came up with the idea of the book, there wasn't really any book that sort of went into this detail because in Scotland, it's the book, it's obviously if you're a Scottish football fan, the book's great. Uh, but it was mainly aimed at trying to bring back the stories of all the clubs, clubs that no longer exist, and try to, to shine a light on them because when you look at the locations of where they are, they are, um, <laughs> they are for places that you wouldn't really think of, like um, two teams in, in, in Paisley, two, uh, two or three teams uh, in Edinburgh that obviously aren't Hearts and Hibs in Edinburgh City, Edinburgh City do feature, I should add. Uh, so it's basically just to try and raise up these stories, take us back, because everyone kind of remembers Gretna, who are in the book, and everyone may or may not remember Third Lanark, although a plug for someone else, there is a very, very, very good book called The Ghosts of Catherine Park, which is about Third Lanark, which I recommend to to, to everyone it is a really good read but outside of them people tend not to remember and I try to tell their story give them their story back so places like Helensburgh for example like you wouldn't think of Helensburgh as a team as a place that had a football team it had seven at one point so <laughs> it's trying to show that Scottish mm. Scotland uh, really was important in the, to show how much football took off in Scotland compared to a lot of other places, and that's not to be big-headed. But if we take 1872, for example, 22 clubs were formed in the world. Of that 22, 18 were in Scotland, and of that 18, 12 were in Glasgow area. So it's just to try and show that, yes, Scotland nowadays is dominated by two teams, but it's to try and show that that's never many, always been the case. How many still exist from 1872? Uh, four, I believe. Four. Three, if you depend on your viewpoint. <laughs> um, right, okay, I've got a question. St- oh, sorry. I've got a question straight away from a listener. So they have asked, who was the hardest club to find out information about? Oh, that's a question. Guess two. <laughs> I have two seconds. Um, <laughs> there are, obviously, this isn't good radio, right? But there is a map in the front of the book that sh- shows the locations. So yep. I'm trying to jog my own memory. Uh, there was Did two... you write the book? Was it you that wrote the book? Or, yeah, like, it was me that wrote the book. Wasn't a copywriter? Uh, right, okay. That's okay. No, no, it was genuinely me, I promise. Uh, <laughs> there were two realistically ones that were really, really quite difficult. They were um, one called Cowlairs, which is the north of Glasgow. They were one of the few teams in Scotland that, in England this is quite common, in Scotland it's less common. They were one of the few teams that were created by a railway company. In England, obviously Man United is the most famous one, um, but there were countless other ones that were formed by railway companies. In Scotland, we really only list, literally have two. Uh, Cowlairs was one of them. They were incredibly hard to write about because uh, they, where they were formed is in Peters Hill area, Cowlairs obviously in, in Glasgow, but uh, Peters Hill were formed around the same time and you find a lot of the early reports confused the two. So, because they played at the same location, you couldn't even rely on match reports. So that was a fairly difficult challenge. The other one is a place called Lint uh, House, which is in Govan. They were quite difficult to write about due to the fact that they existed for an incredibly short period of time. They were just down the road from Rangers. They came into existence just after Rangers' popularity sort of took off. And they were constantly in battles with Fairfield shipyards to keep their ground because their ground was on the very, very edge of Fairfield. They eventually lost that battle and as such lost their existence. Uh, they were quite difficult to write about, mostly because in Govan at the time, Govan was a separate um, 
parish from Glasgow. It wasn't part of Glasgow. It wasn't part of Glasgow till um, 1912, I think. So they were quite difficult to write about because the records weren't realistically in Glasgow papers. They were in government papers. And they weren't the best to try and research from. And also, <laughs> they had another team named Flint House Athletic, and they never entered the league. Flint House entered the league for two seasons. So it did make quite difficult to, to research. A lot of the clubs in this book, I'd say probably a good 50% of them, existed and collapsed before the First World War. And those are ones quite difficult to research, mostly because um, Scottish Cup records were not the best uh, prior to the leagues being formed. And after the leagues were formed, the Scottish Cup got even more complicated to try and research because everything was uh, got lost. But yeah, it... it yeah, they are probably the two of the harder, harder ones. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've probably just missed, missed one, but those were two of the hardest ones, yeah. It's interesting, because see how you're talking about like railway teams, right? so Stuart, to bring you in and bring everyone in. Eastern Europe, I always associate with WOX teams. Russia, particularly. Russia's a big one for me. I always associate Russian teams with being they were some kind of industry and became a football team. Yeah, absolutely. But there are, I mean, even now, um, if I look at some of the, not the they're not obviously league teams but if you go down the, the, the leagues and that there's there's a team in Inverness called Uncle Bob's now I'm fairly <laughs> sure that must be some some guy's takeaway has formed a football <laughs> team so uh, I mean it's funny listening to Jeff there like talking about the likes of Carolers I, I know all these teams from the long suffering enduring having to write the history of every league table going all the way back to the 1870s. And I remember there was a, a question on Pointless about it. Name a team from the original league. And I went, Kyle Lairs. Just easy off the top of my head. So obviously this is sticking with me a wee bit. <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's quite strange when we look, in particular in Scotland, um, given how much football took off in Scotland and how quick it did, in comparison to other parts elsewhere in the world, realistically, um, how many of the clubs were formed by associations rather than works teams or railway teams or church teams? Because in England, even Aston Villa, Birmingham City, West Brom, all of those teams are formed by church groups and cricket clubs, etc., stuff like that. Whereas in Scotland, none of them really were, realistically. There were a couple that were formed by works teams uh, or effectively became a works team. So... Um, Arthur Lee and Barhead, they were a works team for a porcelain company. But outside of that, we re- in Scotland in particular, we really struggle. Like Bale, even Renton, all these sort of places, Dumbarton, Dumbarton Hart, for example. We have a lot of Irish, Irish teams in Scotland, but we don't, they're not really formed by anything more than just that community coming together. There isn't like a, like a, like a head, if you will. So in England, uh, like Bale and West Brom were formed by church groups. And the church took the lead, uh, whereas in Scotland, we really don't have that, so to speak. We have Third Lanark and we have St Bernard's, who started off as the uh, as a army brigade. Those two are formed through an army association, but we don't really have many that are church-led, if you will, or, or, or work-led. We have a couple, but we, we in comparison, we have very, very little. So what about... East Houses, Lilies, Miners, Welfare. There's a name from the Football Manager database. Yeah, well, you know, they weren't in the league. That's, that's a lot of points <laughs> that, on Scrabble if you can fit that on the board. <laughs> a lot of points on Scrabble, but you've got no one to play it with if you get that straight away in a one 
True. You, you must have found yourself like down some rabbit holes or like oh yeah. Looking, <laughs> that's, that's why I love like research and stuff because you set out to research like one team, and then you end up on everything else apart from what you search for. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what so, I love about it. And like, there's bound to be so much stories that you've seen. I bet you probably can include some of the stuff. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fair yeah, yeah, yeah. for the, Must be so much. For reasons not allowed to be added <laughs> in. Um, yeah, there's quite a few. Like, Russ, as you'll know, like, I used to write for Button Clubs, which is a blog about clubs that are, that are no longer with us. Yeah. And a lot of the ones I did on there were um, Scottish Cup-based, or I did a couple of Argentinian clubs as well. And um, they were quite interesting. This one's done purely for the league, trying to give it a little bit of, give the book a bit of stability. Because if, if I was to do all the ones that I wanted to do, then the book would be incredibly long and really tedious because uh, there aren't that many. But yeah, places like Helensburg were ones that I found really intriguing because I used to work just outside Helensburg for quite a long time. And I've been through that town millions of times in my life. And the thought that at one point that that town had Helensburg derby in a Scottish Cup third round game isn't mental, <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah, I think a Helensburg, I think rugby. Yeah, like that's, yeah. that's it. There's a, there's a rugby club and there's a cricket club there, and that's literally it. You don't ever think of this place. Not only did it have uh, a league side, but it had a league side that was actually quite competitive. It did well, and it, it was in the, the third division in the 1920s that collapsed because of <laughs> shockingly poor poor management of league management. But um, the fact that it had as many teams as it did at one point is quite insane. It, it really is. It's the same as uh, Renton becoming world champions. Granted, I know there's some caveats on that, but it's the same as that. Like nowadays, you would not get a town of three thousand people, completely amateur, go up against the two best sides in England, record very good victories in both of these games, and come away with a title. You wouldn't get that these days, and that's why I felt like these stories needed to be put out there in, in a wider, a, a wider area. Because if you go to Renton these days, with all due respect to the people of Renton. It's uh, it's not the it's not the not the most prettiest of things, um, but you 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 go there and it would just be one of the places you drive past and you soon you won't get two thoughts off. Um, but yeah, it, it was genuinely world champions, and yet just over thirty years later, the club completely collapsed from from sight, and hasn't there hasn't been even a junior team in that town since. And it's just to give you a, you know a little bit of perspective. You wouldn't you wouldn't ever think of these sort of places as having the capacity to do that. So the, the point behind the book was to try and share the, them sort of stories. I don't want to give them all away, but yeah, uh, share those sort of stories and also to point out that some of the things that we moan about today were still moaned about <laughs> 120 years ago when the league was first formed. Uh, refereeing decisions for certain clubs were still questioned <laughs> 120 years ago. Dodgy penalties still existed. Uh, the league not being able to organise a piss up in a brewery still exists. Was it, this, was it the same teams? Was it the same teams getting all the referees? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, was, it was really basic. It was things like uh, the, the punishments they give to some clubs compared to other clubs just made no sense. Um, like Renton got expelled from the league because they played a friendly against uh, St Bernard's of Edinburgh. Yeah, other teams in the league played that same friendly and they never got expelled. It's mm. Stuff like that. Or uh, the one that really kills off a lot of clubs is in the 1920s is the, S, uh, the, the SFL, like the Scottish Football League, 
put in a requirement that uh, visiting teams have to get certain gate money. So they had to have certain guarantees. And this guarantee had to be met each match. And the, ma- the, the figure wasn't massive. The first division, I think it was at the time about £50. In the second division, it was 15 In the third division, sorry, in the third division, it was 15 In the second division, it was 20 But the amount of clubs that we see that fold because of this requirement is, meant, is ridiculously high. And um, it was to try and show some of these towns that we, we know nowadays collapse. But the reasons why they collapse are incredibly understandable to us today. And they were the same problems faced back then. And it was just to try and show that football goes in cycles. These problems still exist. Retina yeah. foul, 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 foul effectively of a similar problem to what a number of other clubs previously had foul, foul of. So, yeah, it was quite a... I enjoyed re- researching the book. I enjoyed, obviously, I enjoyed writing it as Ross can vouch for. That's <laughs> somewhat late on my manuscript. But, um, yeah, it was it was great. And I, I think see, there are stories uh, that everyone can appreciate. Definitely. Um, see, to spin it back to football manager then. So, Stuart, you have to do research for maybe not as many clubs as you used to have to do, but still no. a fair amount. I would say, if anything, we're doing more these days. I mean, right. the... <laughs> To not to get too technical and boring about it, we've moved on to an online database, which means anyone on my team can go in and add whatever they want. So we've we've had three guys, um, Chris, Danny, and Niall, go in, and they've done a fantastic job of researching the Highland League, the Lowland League, way below that, all the way down to like you know teams that you wouldn't have heard of essentially, and you know, they've gone out. The information's not. Not easy to find. Some, for some clubs, you'll be, you know, I'm sure Jeff found it easier to find information about teams from the 19th century compared to getting a, a you know, a starting lineup for a game in the south of Scotland league, for example. But these guys have gone in and they've done such a great job and with more scrutiny these days than I would say five years ago, ten years ago, definitely twenty years ago when I first started. Um. So yeah, no, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. You're on mute there, John. You were one of the first in Scotland to get involved, weren't you, doing the research? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I my first job within the team was doing the Dundee United research. And it was, I bought my first championship manager, because, of course, it used to be called championship manager. And I think people of our age in this uh, room, they probably... No, but more as Championship Manager 2, which came out in 95 96 when United were in Division 1 at the time. The you know, was a guy called Juan Ferreira, who was nowhere near a quality player for United. So when, because the internet was quite, well, not in its infancy, but not exactly what it is now, I just emailed in and said, can I get, take part? And they went, yeah, go for it. And then as the game got bigger and bigger, the original, no Miles Jacobson at the time, he was doing this research. I got too big, can you take over Scotland? So I've been doing that um, now 21 years as the head of research. So... It's weird to think, I was thinking about it today, there are people who are playing the game who weren't born 
before I took over the research for it, which, yeah, that makes me feel a little bit old. All right. So see, the game's obviously came out this week, so I was delighted when it came out a day early because I don't, I don't have the capacity to play the, the full version nowadays, mainly because of system requirements. Yeah. So it's the handheld version. So quickly went on, as soon as I found out it was available, I started a save. I never actually even had a look to see. I'm guessing on the handheld version in Scotland, it's not got below uh, League Two, or has it? Yeah, it should, it should go all the way down to League Two uh, for the for the... There's the no, Xbox below, below League Two. Below, below League Two, no. No, no. For the, the players will be there if you, you know, do a full database, but to be able to play with these leagues, you have to go in. And the great thing about the community now is people can go into the competition editor in the full game and you, they can do whatever they like. I mean, I have a, I have a, a, I like to go and change the league structure and make it like four leagues of 20 teams or something like that. But there are guys out there who go meticulous and, you know, they have the full pyramid as low as it can get. And the, just because of the power of work my, my, my team have done, if you load that up now and you get someone's you know custom pyramid database, the players are there right the way down. Um, so, I mean, I don't think you can get more detailed. It's amazing. Basically, what I'm trying to say is I want to take Auckland Talbot to the Scottish Cup final and win it. And I mean the senior one. Because yeah. they win the that, that, that So that's what I want to do. But maybe at some point I'll upgrade my laptop so I can get properly involved again. But due to my age, you don't get as much time. I remember back in the day, all, I was going to say we're all similar age. I think Jeff and Ross are a bit younger, maybe. <laughs> Ross definitely is. Jeff, I'm not younger than me. I'm just younger than Ross, like, just about. Um, so I remember <laughs> back in the day, so I'm when you're saying about kids playing it now, <laughs> and you started the research back in, it was about 2000, wasn't it? Yep, it was. Yeah, so the thing I would always remember is, being like getting home from work, getting first thing I did before doing anything else was fire up the, the PC. Yep. And to get my save going again. And it was always the phrase, and Ross, we were talking about this earlier on, you would get to a point and you would have the wee things, the wee kind of funny things. It was like time to change your underpants uh-huh. mm. because you'd been playing a save for that long. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had people. Not blame me, but they've said, "Oh, I, I failed university because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't <laughs> stop football manager." But you know what? I saw a tweet today from someone saying that they played the game for eight hours quite recently without pressing continue. So they just looked at data, they searched for players, <laughs> they looked through everything for eight hours. I mean, my God! But fair play, it, it really the game. I think what I found is the game means so much to so many people. You know, whether it's the memories of their, you know, their teenage years, their student years, you know, for people who are, I would say, maybe kind of 40-ish or above, you're right. A lot of people, they, we don't have the time to, to go in as much as we used to. And to be honest, if they did, it'd be a bit of a worry. But, you know, um, but it, it's amazing that a game that in a world where graphics have kind of almost leveled out. They're so, you know, a game like FIFA presentation-wise is so amazing. And Football Manager isn't near that when it comes to the graphics. But the what makes it is just how accurate it is. It's the, it's the world's most accurate spreadsheet. And people love it for it. Yeah, so again, like, 
being old enough to have a spectrum, I had some kind of football manager game on the spectrum. And it was just data. It was just obviously data. Just yeah. that's all it was. That's what I remember. That was my introduction to playing football management games. We need to touch on, you're around the era of 2000, so we need to get this in here, this question, which you probably know is coming, because it's the one... The is it about famous... Mark Kerr? Well, obviously. <laughs> obviously it's about Mark Kerr, right? So for the, for the young team, for like, and I mean people under maybe the age of uh, 30, maybe, folk will know Mark Kerr like, from what he does now, but at the time, right? So this is a question which is surrounding Mark Kerr. Uh, he moved to Greece, obviously, in yep. real life, real life, and everyone knew who he was, well, not everyone, but a lot of folk knew who he was because he was the player that you could sign for any club <laughs> and he would play straight away. He was basically, he must have had the highest potential or about the highest potential of anyone. And you know what? He didn't. And this is it. So I've spent <laughs> the last 20 years defending this, right? The way the game works now is you see all the attributes players have. So you know, whether it's pace, finishing, passing, all those things. And th- those attributes are weighted against what we call current ability. So to me, that's the main thing of how we rate players. You know, what's that player's current ability relative to that player's? And for Scottish players in the premiership, non-old firm players, we're talking about maybe 90 out of 200 up to about 115, 120 for a, a decent uh, SPFL Premiership player at a Dundee United or a Motherwell or all that sort of thing. And if you give someone a load of high attributes, then the, it's weighted against that 110 or whatever. But before, and this is when Mark Kerr was rated like this, you could say, oh, we'll, we'll say his, his rating out of 200 is 100, but you could give him any stats you like. And so I think he was given 18 out of 20 for passing, 20 for technique or whatever. And just that magical combination of his stats that weren't hugely impressive, but they just worked with the match engine at the time. So you're right. You could sign him and you could say there's a few other players who have kind of who were kind of similar. I mean, Willie Howie who was a Partick player. And, yeah. you know, unlike Mark Kerr, he just faded into obscurity. And um, guys like that, and there were a well, few I, I, I'm an Aberdeen fan. Mark Kerr faded into obscurity. Oh, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> believe when me. He, does, he wasn't as good as he, as he was for other clubs. He was when a good it, player. To he, be fair to me, he had high potential as a young star. Yeah. It was when he was at Falkirk. And then he moved to Dundee United, first of all. Nobody yep. was more disappointed than me. I can tell you that. Well, this guy's good. Oh, you know, this guy's, we've rated him really highly, the Falkirk researcher. And the Falkirk researcher is still with me, and he's the best researcher you could ever get, honestly. Alan's amazing. And he still hasn't lived it down either. So, yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things. But, do you know, um, you were asking me before, uh, you were kind of saying, one of the things you might ask about was the evolution of football manager and championship yeah, manager. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the evolutions, which is both good and bad. It's uh, The game is world-renowned for its accuracy. Football clubs around the world look at the football manager database for, for their own scouting and stuff like that. So now it has to be spot on. But back in the day, there would be those kind of 
small you know players that no one had ever heard of, but you could sign them for any club in the world. I, I suppose, in a sense, it was more of a game then, but with that was a little bit more of unrealism. Nowadays, these things are, you know, bang on. We'll we'll get things wrong. You know, we'll say players are better than they might be. I mean, I to put a United slant on it, the season we were relegated a few years back, I couldn't live down what I gave the, the goalkeeper, Lewis Vick, as his, <laughs> his uh, rating. Because honestly, it should have been about two. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, he, and he was actually the best of the three goalkeepers we had at the time. But yeah, I've got them wrong. You can say players might, be, might turn out to be great players, and they don't, you know, at one point, Andy Robertson was just a, a random Queen's Park player, not rated highly at all. So, you know, but we we strive for accuracy, but we're only human, I would say. Yeah, it's interesting, right? So obviously the game's just out this week now. We've got, like, fans of different clubs. So I'm going to have a guess at who the top three potential Scottish-wise might be. Okay. Now, I've had a week. I've started playing it, right? Now, I've heard rumours, and I hope this is true, because it'll make me a lot of money in my save. Calvin Ramsey is up there with like one of the top talents. Yep, absolutely. He's up there. But not but not just Scotland. Like even like <laughs> potential wise. Pretty... Not in the world. I wouldn't say you know there was a screenshot someone sent me about Kerr Smith at United. Well um, that was yeah, that was what I was thinking as well, Kerr Smith yeah. at United. And what it's a great new feature where it, the game will say, here's the top 25 wonder kids in the world. But that's based upon which players have been loaded up in your database. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so if you've loaded up the Scottish database as your main one, then it's going to have a bit of a focus on that. But also, I mean, I don't want to bore people with football manager stuff, but for when it comes to... No, no, that, that's what we're here for. <laughs> well, I won't <laughs> bore you all here. then. <laughs> you know, for, so for young players, uh, there's their current ability, which is how good they are now, and then there's their potential ability, which is how good they could become, right? Yeah. And for young players, we don't know, not really. So we have what we call our minus potentials. And this is where it gets a bit boring if you're not into football manager. But I suppose if you weren't into football manager, you wouldn't be listening to me at the moment. So Exactly. Yeah. So like, if a player has a real potential to be, say, a good player in the English Premiership, we might give them yep. what is a minus eight potential. So that means their their current ability could be anywhere between 130, which is like, you know, a good player for the old firm, or 160, all the way up to 160, which should be a good player for any club in the world, right? And that means that whenever you load a new game, they'll be given a, a random potential ability between 130, yep. 160. Aye, aye. So it could be that someone's loaded up the game. <laughs> Calvin Ramsey, maybe he has a minus eight and the potential's as high as it could go. In which case, in that one person's save, he's one of the best players in the world, potentially. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah well, I started my save as soon as it came out and within 20 minutes of me playing, I was fended off bids for Calvin Ramsey, Lewis Ferguson, and mm-hmm. I, I don't mind this player, but bizarrely, Conor McLean seems to always I, I've played it before Aberdeen and Conor McLean seems to always get like big massive bids from like Celtic and English clubs yeah uh, you know it'll be partly as well because of his position it'll be you know um, 
it'll be because of how good he currently is as well relative to his age. So he, one thing I would say is don't ever fully trust what the scouts give people in the game because the scouts are rated. It could be a crap scout in the game. Oh, but someone's going to be getting amazing. sacked. Like, yeah. <laughs> as soon as I get some cash, the scouts are gone. Yeah. I'm getting new yeah. ones in. But you know, <laughs> it's funny though. We 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 made a, a great effort to get as many the real scouts in. Yeah, and yeah. that's one thing. It's always good to do something that makes someone happy. And it's, I don't know if you've you maybe noticed on Twitter over the last few weeks, especially when the beta for this version came out, so many people saying, I've played this game since I was like, you know, a, a kid and I'm in it now. And why not? You know, Football Manager has a massive influence on the current world of football because so many people who are involved in it now played it growing up. I absolutely. Um, so, like, see, far like we were continuing about players, like, so Jeff, you're a Dundee United fan, Kerr Smith. Like, talk to us about Kerr Smith as a player, and then we'll see what you think of as a player potential and what maybe football manager thinks of him potential wise. Um, as a player, I think he's at that, um, he's at that awkward stage I think John Sutter went through, which is you can see there's the potential there. It's just, I think, I think, I think he sometimes gets caught up in the emotion of the game but you can see the players there I've seen the links he's been linked with at the minute I genuinely I think he's got the potential to, to become a very very top top quality player um, I said top quality there before anyone tries to assume that I've tried to sign him already but um, I think he's possibly of all the United youth players and United have got a really good youth team it's been proven over the years Um I think he's got really good potential to, to go quite far in the game. But I said that, I thought the same with Kieran Freeman, to be fair. And Kieran Freeman was like a big circle and came back. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's got the potential to go to the English Premier League if if he keeps playing. But I think we also, United fans, I don't know if Stuart would agree with this, but like United fans can turn quite quickly on the youth players if they're not um, effectively Andy Robertson within 15 minutes of playing. Um, yeah, yeah, very <laughs> much so. Do you know, I, I think sometimes you have to balance a player's age and their experience with what we needed at the time in that game. So, Kerr Smith, you know, he's only either he's still 16 just to wait to turn 17 or he's just turned 17. Can't remember off the top of my head, but he's about that age. And the comparison is being made with, well, Charlie Mulgrew went off. And Charlie Mulgrew, you know, fans of other clubs, you know, we have big talk discussions within our WhatsApp group for the, all the researchers. And, you know, everyone's saying, my God, the guy's just got the cigar out all the time. He's got the composure. He's had years of experience to get to where he is. Kerr Smith comes on, makes a mistake, and is like, well, Kerr Smith's not ready. Now, I'll be honest, I was, you know, in the moment, I thought, bloody hell, you know, we've, we've lost the fifth goal and it's because he was strolling through. But the time he has on the pitch will help him. It'll develop him. And what he's got going for him is he's physically very impressive for his size. And he can only get better. I mean, you see Kieran Freeman and maybe his phys- physical stature mean has meant he, that along with injuries, scuppered his chances down in England. But one thing I will say about him, that a lot of the young players at United and at any club need to focus on is he's made it because he's made it at United anyway 
because he tries and he plays at the pace that you know you have to play at if you're playing first team football. So many young players now, they're not tested in their half-arsed, you know, walking pace reserve games. And then they're supposed to suddenly make that transition. And there's plenty of players at United. I mean, at Mochrey, Aperi, you know, Logan Chalmers, talent, you can see the abilities there, but they're not, they, they get bullied out of games sometimes because they just obviously aren't accustomed to the pace. I mean, what do you think about that, Jeff? Do you, do you see that in them like I do? Yeah, no, I fully agree, to be honest with you. The Kieran Freeman one isn't so much a slag of Kieran Freeman. I, I think he's a genuinely really good player. I think we run into an issue these days where we expect players, once they hit about 20, if they've not had X amount of first-team games, then most people are writing them off as, oh, they're never going to make it, they're going to drop down the lead. Kieran Freeman is a very, very good player. He's, he's a much better player than I am. And I think not just at United, but United is quite bad for it, I think, a lot of the time, is our young players come in and because we've had the successes of a Ryan Gold, a John Sutter, an Andy Robertson, when they were just 18, 19, 17, 18, 19, I think we expect that if a player, when they reach the age of 20, isn't a first-choice player, then they're not going to make it. And I say United, it's not just United, but we are quite bad for it, if I'm, if I'm honest. And I think... Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I was going to say, I totally agree. But I find that, to, to link it back to football manager, I mean, one club, and I'm, I'm going to get pounced on for this, that are <laughs> terrible for it, are Celtic. You know, I mean, Karamoko Dembele, prior to him, um, oh, Islam Farouz. These, yep. <laughs> these guys were going to be the best players in the world because they impressed at the... You know, at the walking pace level, the the, the the youth level, and then people assume that they're going to be amazing when well, they might not be. Does that come down though to I think, and we probably would all agree here, Rangers and Celtic players, young players, automatically get hyped more than any other players in Scotland. Doesn't matter if they played five minutes, they're going to be the next big thing. But then the media, and I, media certainly is mostly geared towards the West Coast teams. That's fair enough to say. So they hype it up. And then it's then we know, like, I mean, Islam Faraz is a perfect example in terms of recent times. We were all starting to believe that he was going to be the next big thing. Whether we supported Celtic, Rangers, Aberdeen, Dundee United, whoever, because he was quoted at like 15, he was going to be, <laughs> he has to bring football manager back in, the Freddy Adu. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and um, yeah, it's but you, you, there's a list as long as your arm. I mean, even just looking at Celtic, Aidan McGeady was going to be Cristiano Ronaldo, and he's a good player, Aidan McGeady. Don't get me wrong, but he's not ended up where I think people thought he would have ended up when he was make, making the breakthrough at Celtic. Mark Burchill, you know, Tony Watt. I remember someone telling me. Whether it's true or not, it's completely. It was. It was. I was told something from someone within football at the time. What made his debut coming off the bench against Motherwell or something like that in a cup game, I think, and it was only because that the, the reserve players who would have gotten ahead of him were at the reserve games, and he'd been dropped from that. And he came in and he scored a good goal on that. And he's Connor and had a good career, but again, 
the moment someone comes on and scores in their Celtic debut as an 18-year-old. Or Rangers, it's both the same. They're going to become an absolute superstar. And it's not very fair on, on them, you know. Yeah. Let's, I think, let's quit bit indoors. Be a Rangers it. fan. Like, I was just going to say, um, the one that always gets me, or I remember, is John Fleck. And obviously, he's still, I think he's only 29. Yeah. Yep. And I remember I'm like 16 on the bench for the Scottish Cup final. And in the next couple of seasons, he was kind of in and out of the team. And obviously, he's worked, he's worked his way back up to Premier League with Sheffield United. But he was going to be the next best player. Yeah. And obviously, I never worked out for him at Rangers. Again, fair play, he's done really well. But I remember trying my best playing for manager at that time to keep him. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. just, as you say, it's just... Well, he, I, I think, <laughs> if I recall, we talk about minus ratings. He was given a minus nine. So the Rangers fans at the time thought this guy was going to be, you know, better yeah. than Gascoigne, that type yeah. of player. I mean, going further back for when it comes to Rangers, I mean, look, Charlie Miller, one nah. of the most naturally gifted players you could ever hope to meet. But, you know, not a not a natural athlete, I think is the fair way of putting it. Uh-huh. And and he'd put it that way himself, yeah. you know. So, but, but this is it. But a lot of pressure immediately gets heaped on on yeah. players. But it is the same at any club. I mean, um, it's within every every club has its own little you know bubble. And currently at United, if Logan Chalmers, for example, has a bad game. 50% of the fans will pounce on him and say, he's a showboater, he's not, you know. But he's only, what, 20? And like Jeff said, people have written 20-year-olds off as, well, that's them. If they didn't come in and they weren't Andy Robertson and they weren't Ryan Gold, then they were nothing. Which, I mean, it's heat of the moment stuff, but I think we do have to consider that kids, you know, people... People's bodies develop at different rates. People's lung capacity. I mean, one thing about Kerry Smith, I think he'll be a great player, but he at the moment is not fit enough in terms of his his lung capacity. He, he got taken off a couple of games ago, and but by the time he was taken off, he was like the Walking Dead. He was done. In that moment, my God, he was he had nothing left. So yeah, we need to sort of temper our expectations but football manager doesn't help that I have to say because we people then see wow Kerry Smith's one of the 25 top players in the world potentially so immediately people will think wow he's going to be amazing and we hope he is I had one quick question on football manager um, you know obviously you're saying about the, uh, the backroom staff these days uh, like the scouts and that are one of it yep Who comes- so yeah so when it comes to like the backroom staff and how we actually rate them, it's difficult. I mean, we don't know, like, unless we go and watch them in action, how good they are at, you know, coaching defensively or how they're good at data analysis. But in general, we'll kind of match a, a backroom staff's ability with the club he's at. So, which isn't necessarily fair. You could have the best data analyst in the world at Sterling Albion, Whereas you might have the world's worst scout at Newcastle United. You just don't know. But we have to try our best with that. But the good thing about um, the backroom stuff is because a lot, a lot of the analysts and the scouts are so involved with the football manager, 
they're very happy to come and chat with me about about young players because we're talking about young players and they'll tell me who they think not only the good players are at their club but crucially who they think the good players are at other clubs as well and that helps form our database to make it accurate because otherwise it's just well one fan says one thing and one fan says another thing yeah, here's one like, so coming back to Ross, just because we've covered Aberdeen a wee bit in terms of who we think the player with the most potential is, Dundee Knight as well. Who would you say out of the youngsters at Rangers has the most potential in real life? Well, I think the obvious one, Patterson. Um, but again, it's kind of hard. It must have been hard to do it because he's not played as much as I would have liked. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, I don't know how many games he's played. Um, in total but I mean it must be hard trying to work it everyone can say he's got a lot of potential but again everyone's human mistakes are made for example John Fleck McGeady and stuff like that um, but I think he's probably got the most potential but I like um, Robbie McCrory as well in goals I think he's got quite a lot of potential I'd like to hope he could be the kind of next number one after McGregor and stuff I think he's got that he's in that kind of same mould but Again, it depends if he gets the chance. If he doesn't get the chance, he could just end up like an hour. He could just go down kind of war leagues and stuff. So, see the one I'd heard of. I don't know if this is. He's a bit younger, but he's been touted Leon King. Leon King, yeah, yeah. I think he's just sixteen, maybe just from seventeen. Seventeen. So in, in football manager terms, this is brilliant. You know how usually Rangers just play Aberdeen, and usually before a Rangers Aberdeen game, if you've got anyone decent, there'll be a, a link. Rangers are going to sign Ryan Hedges, or they're going to sign this, yeah. that, or. So I've got to like January, pre-contract time. I'm like, right, who can I get in? Who can I get in? Searching about the best Scottish youngsters. I know of Liam King, seeing that he's out of contract. I was playing Rangers the day after I signed him on a pre-contract. I was like, this is like... Is that who you mentioned on Twitter? Brilliant. Brilliant. Aye. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like a... I wonder who it was. I didn't know what to ask. Aye. That was who it was. Leon King. He's, so I didn't wait until obviously the summer, but I've heard guys, um... great things about him. I think hopefully the next kind of couple of years he could step up. Um, we've got quite a, a good few youngsters. Um, Stephen Kelly as well. Uh, he's on loan at. Is it County? No one point on loan. He was at last season. Sorry, last season. Yeah, yeah. Aye. I think he was at County. Yeah. Um, and we've got like, Lewis Mayo and stuff. And there's there is quite a a good kind of group of guys coming through. And hopefully we could. It's a shame when you see or people get touted like Leon King and stuff, and it's happened in the past. Again, bringing John Fleck back, it doesn't work out for whatever reason, and they just sign another player that's you know Scottish or has got a bigger rep. I'd love to see us kind of getting these guys in the first team. Yeah, uh, you know I mean, like so Patterson, McCrory, and obviously eventually King, um, because you don't know if they can do it at the level until you play them regularly at that level. So why not give them a chance? Yeah. But, I mean, it's worked it well for Patterson what he's played and I would have no qualms with Patterson starting over Tavernier. Not a problem. See, just then, aye. See then, just interestingly then, so Stuart, who at Rangers out of the youngsters has got the best potential? Now you're asking a question and there. Again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I've got the, the B team open at the moment. You're right, Leon King is one of them. Um, obviously, Charlie McCann has come from, he's a Man United he's come from. And he's gone yeah. straight into the B team, which has raised a few eyebrows about the, how the B team should work. Uh, but no, there's a few in there, you know, 
Hogarth, um, one of your players who was really highly rated, I think he's just left Rangers, was Dapo Mabudi. Uh, yeah. He was going to be a big player. But again, even at Rangers level, right, young players get picked off before they've got a chance to to get into the first team. I mean, we we identified Billy Gilmore as a player who would be a fantastic. And it would have been great if he'd got through to, you know, to the Rangers first team and played in Scotland. But he's one example of it going right, I suppose. He's the complete opposite to the uh, the great Islam Farouz um, in terms of he's gone down south to Chelsea and done something. But th- th- there's a few players at, at Rangers and Celtic and I mean, what do you guys think of the B team? I um, did you have raging debates at the time about how it's a disgrace that they're they're in the Lowland League? I mean, I don't mind. I think it's a, I think it's good for players. Uh, Jeff, uh... <laughs> right? Yeah. So I, I have a few feelings on this. Um, no, <laughs> I right. So the principle behind it, I understand and appreciate. I, I do honestly get the, the idea behind it. Uh, I think it's incredibly poorly pun- uh, done due to the fact that the two leagues that lead into the Lowland League strongly disagree with it. Uh, I think if you are going to create a West of Scotland League, then because of the pandemic, not allow teams to be promoted out the West of Scotland League, but you're willing to extend your league by two teams to allow two old firm teams in without realistically taking into consideration the consequences of doing so, aka the SFA and the SPFL have stated that if Rangers or Celtic beating win it, then there's no guarantee that they'll get the playoff. There's no guarantee that, say, uh, a team that finished third behind those two would get the playoff place. Bonnie Lig Rose, I think Bonnie Lig Rose are probably the team that's... Oh, yeah, thankfully, Bonnie Lig... Most Rick, likely. They're doing well, thank but... Yeah, Bonnie Lig also have them Donna kebab pies, which are the quality. But, um, yes, they like a pie <laughs> chat, obviously. <laughs> but um, I think, the, like I said, the idea behind it is makes sense. The, the old firm quoted a lot of European sides, a lot of European leagues in it. The difference being European leagues have had it forever. They've always had it. It's not a, a newfangled thing. The other argument was it would help boost Scottish talent. That's simply not true, realistically. If you look at the, the lineups for the last few games, there are Scottish boys in it. They are getting the opportunity. Don't get me wrong. However, there is not, in my opinion, enough Scottish boys getting the opportunity. Uh, you take Rangers and they've got a South American boy who keeps smashing them in, which is great. Don't get me wrong, it's great for that boy. Uh, it's great for Rangers. I don't see what the benefit is to the Scottish game. Uh, the attendance is, is a myth that really needs to be put to bed. Because if you take, they played air uh, in the Challenge Cup, it's at Dumbarton Stadium, right? Dumbarton only hold 2020. The attendance was less than 300. Uh, the attendance isn't, in my opinion, a justifiable argument behind it. Um, it, it, the theory is that it will drag the attendances up even when the B teams play each other the attendances aren't particularly spectacular they're not they're not signing out eyebrows like they used to for the reserve games it, it's, it just doesn't exist I struggle to understand it if it was done uh, to try and persuade the SPFL to go for it then in my opinion thankfully it seems to have backfired massively which I'm pleased with uh, personally I, I also find for the I know what people say about the boys that are playing them leagues, but they deserve respect. They're still good footballers. They're still better than most of the people out there. And for their, effectively, their professionalism, their commitment to their career for 10, 15 years, whatever it may be, is effectively diminished by you making them play against a load of kids. 
it's not the blame the boys playing for Rangers and Celtic. They play against who they play against. It's not their fault. I think the league as a whole need to look at what they did and then question. I know Bonnie Rig in particular were massively against it. I know a couple of other clubs were hugely against it. I think most of them were against it, but it got railroaded. Yeah. I think if as long as they stick to their word of it only being a one year experiment, I've read somewhere that the the rumour is that the, the reserve league's coming back or whatever whatever the SPFL would call the reserve league. That's a good thing. I don't ever I've never understood why you'd want Put teams in. It, it does no one. Any, it doesn't do Scottish football any benefit. It's a myth that it does Scottish football a benefit. It does two teams a benefit, and that's pretty much it. The attendances don't go up. You don't. You get a pay packet off them, but it's not particularly a great pay packet. You lose the interest of most of the fans. You look at the court teams in the Challenge Cup and look at the attendances, and you'll see a massive drop off. It doesn't matter what the court team it is, but you'll see a massive drop off in attendances between Saturdays and then the midweek that game. So yeah, I there, personally, I'm not for it. I don't know if you can there's, a, there's a few, there's a few issues with it for me, right? And I, we've covered a few of them before, but I'll cover them again. So we'll see the pyramid. This pyramid is not working straight away. It's not working because the idea of a pyramid should be that you can get higher. All these teams that are getting second chances is the worst thing in Scottish football. If you finish second bottom or bottom, if it's like to see like a relegation, that's football. That's it. That's always been football promotion relegation. No second chances, so I'm maybe a bit more passionate because I'm West of Scotland team fan as well as Aberdeen. However, even that, the West of Scotland League was set up only because the government bodies wanted it. Most of the junior teams didn't want it, but they've been forced into it. So I'll think Talbot a big team, lucky enough, good fan base, etc. If you look at nearby, you've got like some Yorkuck, you've got Luger, who are they were big teams in the juniors, but now don't get big crowds. So they've been forced into this system, this pyramid, that they don't want to be in. They'd rather stay junior. Even Talbot would have probably rather stay junior. So there's that, the pyramid. The whole myth about Rangers and Celtic and the fact that it's going to help players progress and play first-team football, you can't tell me that a Rangers player or Celtic player is going to jump from playing in the Lowland League to playing first-team football for Rangers or Celtic. That will not happen. No chance. All that will happen is maybe they will play and they'll realise, right, we can then sell these players on and it'll be like Chelsea down south, whereby they've got 30 players out on loan for loan fees and making a massive amount of money. So all it does is make Rangers and Celtic richer. Why were no other team in the Premiership allowed Colt teams? Why was it not offered? Why was it just Rangers and Celtic? Because you look abroad, you look at uh, the Dutch one's a good one, because the Dutch, I think most of your Dutch senior teams have a team in the Eris Divis 2 or below. Why was it just Rangers and Celtic? Why was it not offered to Aberdeen, Arts, Ibs, all the other teams? It's... It just stinks of corruption. And this is the thing. Jeff was talking all about when we made a flippant remark about Celtic Rangers getting decisions over the years and all that. It just seems like Scottish football was designed for two teams and the rest of us are just to feed off the scraps. So that's what I take on it. Yeah, I think... On you, on you go, Jeff, on you go. Oh, apologies. No, my only point was, when you look at that Western Scotland League, the decision-making, the, the, the theory behind it, again, makes sense. I agree with you. Talbot... Are t- Let's be honest, right? So Talbot, Bollock, Arthur, if, if there's a few teams in the juniors, in juniors that are now West of Scotland that did really well, they've not got the capacity to go into the Lowland League. So the people that, that voted in the Lowland League are going to change rapidly. Uh, the, the people that sit around the table there are going to change because as soon as it does change, the things like the Colts, and I think the teams, when it changes, Pollock, for example, get over a 1,000 fans a week. 
Queen's Park, who are just up the road, who I watch quite regularly, get less than 800. And you're going to start seeing that the teams in the Lowland League that voted in this, this scheme uh, for the coach teams, I don't think they're going to be hanging around very long. They've not got the same spending power effectively as York and Lex, your Pollocks, etc. So I think within a few years, these sort of decisions, the people that went for those decisions are going to slowly drift away, I think, in my opinion. Anyway. The, the no, thing we've got as well, it's pre- sorry, it quickly, there's preservation about the League 2 fleet clubs. They don't want to get relegated into Lonard League, whatever league, because we've seen already these teams are getting relegated and struggling to get back. Uh, Ross, I've you in. Aye, no, I just, I, I agree with both of you. I think, obviously, as a Rangers fan, but I, I didn't agree with them they were talking about. I just think it's, it doesn't help Scottish football. And I mean, we talk about wanting to see Scotland at major tournaments and Scotland, the whole point is that is to develop players and stuff like that, to me, just doesn't help, if that makes sense. Um, and I mean, as I said, it is geared towards all fun. And I think, I, I think you mentioned the error about the Dutch teams, um, John, but I'm sure they split, I can just kind of go off to like a different debate here, but they split the European money, I'm sure, so it goes through the leagues, through the leagues, sorry. And I mean, could you imagine seeing that in Scotland, how how better it would be for teams like St Mirren, say, or just lower, lower down, getting a share of the money? But it'll never happen because it's just... Aye. I no, think they get, a wee, they get a wee bit, I think teams get a wee bit. But yeah, it's but... Like, I, again, yeah, it's crumbs, I, it's crumbs, it's... Yeah, it's nothing's going to help any of our clubs. PSV, I think, I think that they agreed. I don't know 100%. I'm not quite fully aware of how, how it actually works, but I'm sure they give quite a lot and they distribute it evenly to the rest of the league. And obviously that can increase competition and stuff like that. And stuff like that needs to happen here because it's just, you're never going to see another team out with Rangers and Celtic in the league. This is never going to happen unless stuff like that kind of changes. Aye, let's flip it back to Stuart, just when you were saying you were in favour of it, because, or just to hear your point of view on it. No, I mean, I I get all those points, absolutely. But I I bring it back to how you see a lot of young players make the step up to the first team, and they just don't, they've not played at any level of pace to cope with it and so and the, and they get bullied out of the game. I mean, ideally, I think that the, the pathway for any good quality young player in a premiership side should be maybe if they're 17, they're on loan at Albion Rovers. And then having done a year there, they'll maybe have a year at Peterhead. Then, you know, if they've got a chance of being a, a, a top player, they might have a year at Partick or something like that, that kind of progression. But I do think it'll help those Rangers players, whether it's they're Scottish or not, playing at a more competitive level than previously Rangers, for example, were doing friendlies week after week. And what I found interesting, and I got this from speaking to a few players, around the time uh, the old firm floated the idea of the B teams going into League Two, that was shot down completely. But there was a lot of players who were like, that's really short-sighted because the players themselves remember when they were, you know, they were 17, 18, they would have loved that opportunity. So it's, it's fascinating that it's a, it's a debate that is often 
as it should be, driven by fans and their perception of how football develops. But the players can sometimes find it a bit differently. And after all, it's their careers. So, yeah, that, that's interesting. I take it you're talking about existing players. Yeah. In yeah. That. So we, we've had like the likes of like ex players on like uh, Dave Irons, Ali Graham, Kevin Harper from like an era of reserve. They played reserve football. Yeah. They all, every single one of them, I think disagreed with it and said the reserve league was the best thing for them because they were playing against guys that were coming back from injury, playing against guys on the fringe of the team and they learned how to play. Obviously, we don't have the reserve league just now. I know there's a talk about bringing it back. I don't know if it would work so much the reserve league nowadays because I always remember back in the 80s, 90s, teams in Scotland carried massive squads, I think. Like, I've seen your players. There's not that ability now. That's it. Like you'll have, I don't know, 20 senior players and then the rest supplemented by youth. There's some teams here in Scotland that don't even have a youth system anymore. Yeah, and and that's exactly it. I, I, I would agree with those guys when they say the, the, reserve, the reserve league was the way to go. But I was speaking to guys who are maybe towards the decline of their full-time careers, you know, so they're about 33, 34 now. These guys didn't really, they may be going at the very tail end of reserve football. Nowadays, you just can't have it. I mean, if I look at Aberdeen, for example. So who would fill out a reserve team for Aberdeen week in and week out? How many experienced players are are helping the kids there? And who are they playing against, you know? Yeah, well, that, this season we've got a pretty big squad, but I reckon most of our first team should be playing reserve team football. Um, <laughs> the way we're playing just now. But we, we actually do, I would say we've got one of the bigger squads in the league. But I get you, I know what your point is. Yeah. Um, I think maybe Aberdeen would be all right. I don't know whether with Ross County, I don't know the full ins and outs of our youth system, would they manage to have a senior team and a reserve team and have enough players for both games? Yeah, probably not. I mean, and if you look at United, for example, yeah, we've got quite a few players out injured. And yeah, in theory, you would have a lot of young players playing alongside Mark Reynolds or Callum Butcher, who isn't playing at the moment. But, you know, not compared to, again, when the, the, the reserve system was in its pomp, when it would probably be eight out of the 11 players would have been almost grizzled veterans. And But also there's just that, that it's a different era in terms of the characters as well and how young people... Uh, cope with, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't want to have, you know, experienced the hazing culture that I'm sure went on in, in the changing rooms back in the day. And I remember listening to a, a podcast, a United podcast, when Johnny Russell was saying about the things that they got on, they got up to. And even then, that wasn't that long ago. I can't imagine it would fly now. They'd be sort of like, you know, industrial tribunals and things like that. It, it's just the way it is. That's like, as you say, can road reserve games and stuff, and youngsters would be going up against kind of veterans and players that maybe not as talented as such, but they get an education. But as you say, a lot of the stuff now, you just probably wouldn't get away with because of the way the culture is and the way that everything's on social media as well. So it's just a shame that stuff like that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, I, I think part of the problem is, is if we remember, if we, we hark back to the olden days, 
we hark back to like the Henry McLeish report and stuff. He stated in that report that um, for the development of footballers in Scotland, young 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 footballers in Scotland, it was better for them to basically play in effectively academy football like they started doing in England. With that, not blaming his report, but it seemed within minutes of that report coming out, Reserve League, as we all remember it from back in the day, just sort of wiped out, disappeared off the face of the earth. We then brought in the under-20s. Most teams with the under-20s, it didn't really do a lot. Like, there are under-20s leagues in every country in Europe. Most teams run under-20s team, with the exception of Falkirk. Um, but that under-20s league, it started off just solely being under-20s. They then changed it, so I think you've got three overage players who are coming back to fitness. And what we've seen since is a sort of a mishmash of complete disorganisation. So we're at the point now where Rangers and Celtic B teams or any other cult teams, for example, going into League Two is viewed as a good point because professionals are viewing it as reserve team, um, reserve teams, aka under twenty games, are pointless, which they probably are. They're they're really, really they're not up to the fire because there's no professionals in that game trying to get back into a manager's plans. Realistically, there's three, and let's say let's say Cam Butcher, for example, is a good is a good example. If Callum Butcher was to slide. <laughs> Was to wipe out an, an Aberdeen midfielder like like he probably would because it's that's what he does. He definitely right? would. Die. He definitely. <laughs> <laughs> he isn't going to get back into the first team because you're not going to view him as oh that was a great challenge. You're going to view it as why were you doing that to an 18 year old boy? So I think part of the problem is we've come so far away from it because at the time we weren't bringing in the, youth, the younger players, but we've gone to such an extent that it's now pointless and we haven't discussed whether or not a B team is useful purely and simply because we took away effectively competitive ma- matches because we were concerned about the welfare of the, young, of the younger players. Just fair, it's understandable, but it puts us into this catch-22. What's the correct way to go? Do we bring in more cult teams and try and force them onto the teams when evidently the fans of the teams that are down in those divisions really do not want them there? I mean, it's a fairly blank, it's a fairly cross the board that none of the fans want it. None of the clubs, the clubs know that if they were to vote it in, the, fan, the, the people through the gate are going to drop off and they can't afford it as it is. So that's never going to happen. But equally, our two biggest sides, the Celtic Rangers, really do not seem keen on bringing back the full-blown reserve league. Rangers pulled out of the under-20s, started playing those friendlies, uh, and have pushed to get into court teams. Uh, it's never going to happen. R- Ross is quite a reasonable old firm fan, so Ross is really good for this, uh, really, really bad for this, because we can't argue, we can't say to how can you no see this? Because Ross understands it. But, yeah, every year we're going to face this problem. I honestly don't think it's ever going to change. The fans, the, the clubs are never going to vote it in because they know if they vote it in, they are going to get really bad attendances. And if, as Ring and Celtic try to do with guaranteeing a certain amount of money every season, all of us view that completely and utterly as it is for what it is worth. I mean, you can't butter it up no matter how you do it. We all view that that money handed over. We know what it's for. Like we're not daft. So, yeah. I think, I think, I think everyone... No, I think everyone wants to see like Scottish football get better and changes made and stuff, but no one's willing to take responsibility and go, right, make a change, change the structure, change this, change that. It's just I say it's just a constant cycle of people blaming each other. Join. And it's it's just never going to change. But the reason for that is because they're all independently run businesses essentially, who are out to make as much money for themselves as possible. And when you've got a a voting structure 
where two teams can but can veto anything else. And as as an Aberdeen fan, you should be ashamed that when Rangers were yeah, absolutely, out, definitely you know, the opportunity was there. But again, it just comes down to self interest all the time. Yeah, you know, it's the problem. It, <clears throat> it really is. See, actually, Jeff was talking about the Henry McLeish report. See, at that point, I'm pretty sure part of the report was that we do not have a capacity for 42 professional teams in Scotland. But now we actually have more than 42 professional teams. It's bizarre. Like, we can talk... Let's, we have to talk about link restructuring. That's a topic that's been it's been done to death, but I love it. We all love it, I think, as fans. And, Stuart, you can do it in Football Manager, which is great. Yep. Like, who, like, who genuinely thinks the current system works? Um, no, probably not. I, I 100% get the point about if you make the league bigger, then you, you run the risk of games being pointless. And I think we all probably saw last season how soul-destroying pointless football can be. And it was pointless in a different way because there was no fans there and we're watching empty stadiums. That ruins it. And I think in my time watching United, I've only had one season, if I can recall, maybe two, where in the last five or six games, there's been nothing to play for at all. And I just thought, why am I here? You know, really rubbish stuff. So I get that. I do. I think we forget... It's, it's very much focused on how good the, the top league is. But I always think League One is, for whatever reason, always fantastic with about three points separating first from eighth. You know, and that's a good league. But I, I, one other thing to say, the problem is we're facing the same teams over and over and over and over again. That's that's a killer. From a historical point of view, this might shock a fair few people. This is the longest the Scottish leagues have stayed consistently at the same numbers uh, as numbers in leagues for, in fact, its entire history. We've it constantly, we've, we have always, this is, I think people view this problem as a modern day problem. And it really isn't. Honestly, it's truly not. We start, when the leagues first founded, it started off with 10, but due to, <laughs> due to political issues, started off with nine, dropped down to eight. It then climbed back to 10, it climbed to 12, it climbed to 20 dropped to 10, climbed back to 24, dropped to 22. We've been doing this for our entire history and nothing ever changes. The reason why we're sat at 12 at the minute is purely and simply because that worked out at the split, made it easier. Um, the idea behind having more teams in the league is, I think, a romantic idea that all of us would like to see. We would all like to see us, say, play Celtic or Rangers only twice, four times a season, or, or, or whatever it is. Raise the league to 16, for example, and then knock away the, the, the league to have three divisions. I, I'm all for that sort of stuff. I think the problem you're going to face is um, some clubs in the top flight are more than happy to only face Rangers and Celtic four times a year altogether. The problem we've got, and it's a completely understandable problem, is a lot of the lot of the clubs in our division, in the top flight in particular, want to play Rangers and Celtic as often as they do because the money they get from that game more often than not matches what they get in prize money. And until something until something changes, that's that's all the way it's, it's, it's ever going to be, I, I feel. I'm all for bigger a bigger top flight. I believe 
in Scotland, we've got capacity to make a very good top flight. I believe potentially that if we had a bigger top flight, if Rangers Celtic, if you say you were Hearts this season, right? So you were only playing Rangers Celtic four times instead of what is inevitably going to be eight. You could lose those four games, but it might not put you out of the championship title race. Whereas if you play them eight times and lose all eight games, you're definitely out of that championship title race. And I think for, for those reasons, the money reasons and for the fact that the two teams that can veto any of these decisions will veto these decisions, I don't think it's ever going to change, unfortunately. I think that's just the way it's going to be. See, if we had that, Jeff, like that point there, we would not have a better chance of a team out with Rangers Celtic in the league because you've only got four games against them. I Absolutely. I believe if you were to lose 12 points over a season against those two teams, uh, there's a possibility, as they've got to play each other four times, there's a there's a better possibility, in my opinion, of a different team managing to put a fight up against it. Yeah. And managing to stick right. with it. It's just like, for example, take this season, for example, like, as a Rangers fan, we've not been up to the standards of last season. Obviously, that was just a one-off freak campaign. It happens to teams. Celtic have been up to it. There's a chance, obviously, a small chance, but, and I'm never going to get slaughtered for this, but, I think it would be brilliant to see another team win the league. Join like an Aberdeen or Hibs or Hearts. I think it would be brilliant uh, for the game. Uh, <laughs> Join though, I just that's it. Like, look, look at the Premier League. Like that Western season, everything just kind of fell into place for them. Um, can the top kind of like City, Tottenham, Man United, for whatever reason, it was obviously just Leicester year. And I think, uh, John, you'll testify to this actually. It must have been five, six years the season before Rangers um, oh, were promoted yes. and was it not like March I'm sure it was really tight up until about 28, 29 games Rory Dyla's last season yeah, yeah, yeah it was when really it, tight wasn't it and I, honestly I was sitting there thinking this could happen it could happen it, and then obviously it, it's just they lost it Dundee basically January so I it's a difficult one right because clubs that listen to Rangers no 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 it's it's alright it's better than bringing up what other people usually bring up so that 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 one um, I always think teams out with Rangers and Celtic they cannot speculate to accumulate because if they do they go they go under or they struggle I do though think that season Celtic were struggling if we had just done something a wee bit in January like a a striker because at the time we had Adam Rooney but if Adam Rooney wasn't playing, there was a struggle. And just maybe sign maybe one or two that good players at our le- at that level, I reckon we would have won the league. But we didn't have enough options. And that's what it always comes down to. Rangers and Celtic, even if they're struggling, they have the bigger squad. They've got more options. They can cover injuries, suspensions. I, I genuinely think one or two players, we would have won the league that year. I don't know what others think, like Jeff, Stuart, but that was uh, what I thought would happen. I- I agree, completely agree with the point. I think they had a good chance of winning it that year. I mean, I, I remember the year that George Burley was at Hearts. They had a chance, you know. Uh, but it isn't just the fact that people will play Rangers or Celtic eight, essentially eight times in a season combined. It's also that you're playing other teams four times, you know. It could be that, I mean, if Celtic had to play Livingston, 10 times a season, they'd probably finish in the bottom six because for whatever reason, they can't get past them. But yeah, you have clubs that are just that kind of, you know, the 
the bogey team, you know, for whatever reason, Motherwell can never seem to beat Hamilton. You know, it's it's weird the way it goes. Uh, and I think by the familiarity of playing the same teams over and over again, um, you know, it means that I think teams learn how to play against certain teams. Um, I mean, I remember, and you know, Jeff, you'll remember as well, the, the, the season where we lost to St. Johnston in the, the cup final, you know, we played St. Johnston so many times that you could literally see Stevie May getting more and more, um, you know, confident against John Suter. And in each game, did he, he passed, did he have a certain mi- minus potential against Dundee United? <laughs> well, pretty much, <laughs> you know, but you, you could see him bully him. And then, so, and in that season as well, Ryan Gold came through. Teams learned to play against Ryan Gold. Like he's, he's small, batter him. And so by the time we limped to that final, uh, these players, they were so low on confidence that the, you know, the best player at the time who had the biggest chance of winning the game for us was Ryan Dow, purely because people underestimated him and looked at all the other players. So if you play the same teams over and over again, it has a massive impact. And, and a positive one for Rangers and Celtic because they'll know, well, this is how we do it. I mean, the next time United play Rangers, I'm not convinced we'll beat them, put it that way. Um, it, we were a bit of an unknown quantity because of that. See the So here, let's bring it back to football manager. The beauty of football manager is you have to play young players if you want to win the league. That's what I think has yeah. always been the case because you see that improvement. So football manager lets you dream that yeah, it's possible for a team out with Rangers Celtic to win the league. So, see, going back to the bigger league point, would that not allow more freedom for young players to develop and play first-team football? I th- well, I think so. I mean, it, do you remember the season that Motherwell didn't get relegated? Uh, there was not going to be relegation, and they had the freedom to play young players like James McFadden, who probably, if the, the, the prospect of relegation was real, they probably wouldn't have played. So... If you can play players without fear of the the impact on the business, because of course, if you get relegated from the Premiership into League uh, to the Championship, it's a massive financial blow. So, I, I, yeah, I think you're right, but at the same time, I think it depends upon the manager. A, a savvy manager will play a player regardless of how old he is if he thinks he's good enough. I have one point on that. I- think personally that we've moaned already that with the smaller league there are more meaningless games I think if you're playing a let's say 16 team league I'm not so sure you would get so much of an opportunity realistically because I think if you've got games that you need to get points in for whatever reason then I think you're less likely to play the youth players so like this this uh, this um, last season for example United we were in the bottom six but we were never I think we were secured from relegation before the split, or it might be the game after the split. We could have easily then we've got four games in which you can play youth players, realistically, because you've got absolutely no pressure whatsoever. You're not needing the result. Whereas if you're in a bigger team, a big league with bigger, more regulation spots and more to play for, I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that you can play youth players as much. Now I know I've countered my own argument by stating that a bigger league wasn't used because there were more meaningless games. Well, I think it all depends on. Dundee United are good, but Dundee United are good at playing young players. That's the thing. So it's quite hard, maybe, to switch that mindset. 
and then you've got if you've got more teams, you've got a bigger pool of players. Yeah, no, I, you know because if you've got sixteen teams, and they are you're looking at senior players, potentially the best youngsters then go to these other teams, and you get more derbies, which gets uh-huh. better crowds. In terms of the other teams, like take a mark there, having that in the in the top league, because well, this league, let's face it, this league I reckon so good because you've got Edinburgh derby, the Dundee derby, whatever you want to call the Glasgow derby, is that what we call it now? Depending where you look. <laughs> but there's more derbies and more derbies. People like derbies. We like going to watch derbies. That's going back to West of Scotland League juniors, whatever you want to call it. That's the beauty of that level of football. You've always got a local match, and as fans as we, are more up for it. As long as we don't call Dundee United versus St Johnston a derby, because it's only a derby in the mind of the St Johnston fans. You know, the, the, yeah, it, it, they love it. We're like, you're just another team. It's uh, yeah. it's quite sad because they tried desperately to get United and Dundee fans to go, oh, it's a derby, it's a derby. Dundee fans only viewed it minorly as a bit more important because they won the league at, at Merton Park, which uh, it was beyond the black and white days. Um, and United fans viewed it. I was at the, the United St. Johnston game and coming out of it at the end, you get some Johnston fans like, ah, oh, we, oh, we, we beat these Gilopies. I don't care, mate. No. <laughs> I honestly do not care if you beat us. I have no strong feelings to or for against your side. I couldn't care less. You are farmers. Yep, I, I'm with you on that. And um, yeah, they but they try so hard, don't they? They do, bless them. They, do, they, they, do. they tried at one point to make Aberdeen St Johnston a derby, remember? Because Aberdeen don't have a derby. St Johnston don't have a derby. It was like, let's call that. That, that was the fixture that would get played the weekend or the derbies. Remember, it used to be like you had a weekend, the, der- the derbies. Yeah, yeah. Like, how are we got a derby with St. Johnson? Like, this, this word derby just gets like folk. I don't think people understand what it means, as in two teams for the same city or the same joint, and folk just start chucking it around. And like, you hear, um, like Real Madrid Barcelona, folk are calling it a derby, and it's, it's a rivalry. It's not, you kind of call it a derby, they're opposite joint, they're nowhere near each other. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I just don't like that term, and it's. It's annoying, as you say, when you hear the different cities and towns, and it's like, no, it's you want to call it a rivalry, fair enough, uh, wherever you're based, but then they call it a derby. I'm going to yeah, tag. What's that? I'm going to tag that... every Barcelona and Real Madrid fan I know on Twitter, <laughs> link that comment straight into it. Sorry, Ross does his hate Spanish. <laughs> or Catalan, I'm... or Catalan, just before it actually. I don't uh, care. Uh, you don't I'm know. Have my, my phone getting turned <laughs> off, that's it. Guardiola, like. I'll be all right because they might think I'm Guardiola. Um, <laughs> for those that can see the podcast, you guys can. Right, football manager, go back to football manager. Here's an interesting one because we've got a topical situation today whereby a manager might be going down south. Now, I always know in football manager in real life, managers go very quickly and they go certain places. Where was Steven Gerrard going in football manager this season? I think... Um... He probably would have ended up where he might be going now, <laughs> you know. Oh. Yeah, and um, we that is not something that we we control, you know. That's an interesting thing. It it just purely depends upon a manager's reputation and the, the reputation of the club you'd go to. But there's no doubt in terms of, yeah, Rangers are a bigger club, you know, in a in the in the sense of history and all that, but. You know, you're not telling me that Aston Villa currently isn't a bigger job because it will pay him far more. You know, everything about it 
other than the the size of the club within its own small range. Villa is a bigger club, and and one of the things is, and I'm sure people will be getting really upset about Gerard leaving and how he's betrayed people and all that, but he's not a Rangers fan, so why wouldn't he go to enhance his career? I mean, we've got. Also, we've got a good situation here because we've got a Rangers fan and also we have a fan who also likes Aston Villa. So this is ideal. Like, we couldn't actually have... We never scripted. This was not the plan to talk you've about planned, any of this. You've, you've planned this. You've, you've knew. Yeah, I, 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 I could just see your eyes light up when this news is like, released earlier. I, I was like, generally, that's just... Generally, like, <laughs> this was arranged, what, like, maybe... Stuart with yourself maybe two months ago originally we talked about it when we yeah. knew the game was coming out round about just now and then Jeff because the book was coming out Monday we thought let's get Jeff on he's a football manager fan but it's worked out like a dream here we go so I'm going to sit back popcorn go for it fill your boots right right, right. I had loads of things in mind and then don't just oh, put them right. up no, right I Go think um, no I do, I do think in the grand scheme of things, it's a job that I say he's not a Rangers fan. Loyalty is very it's few and far between in football. He's he's got no loyalty to us. Fair enough, he started his career and he's done well. And if he goes, then best wishes. He's he's achieved what every Rangers fan wanted five years ago to stop ten in a row, and he's done it. Brilliant. I wish he would have stayed to at least the end of the season and can potentially win the title, even have a crack at the Champions League group stages. I mean, that's the incentive. Obviously, it looks like he's not. Um, but I just think, I, I see people on Twitter say that he needs a job between Rangers and Liverpool. I think so many people were saying that he was going to go straight from Rangers the moment Klopp leaves Liverpool, he's going to jump in that job. And I kind of like, well, he's going to have to test this in the Premier League, I, I believe. I'd say Villa's a big club, massive club. Um, I'm not going to get in the debate about if they're bigger than Rangers or not. I think you will answer than that. But <laughs> Jeff's just going to disagree. But uh, no, I think I think it is a good move for him. But I mean, if it goes down, if it goes really badly, does he go down the kind of Lampard route? And do you know what I mean? Nah. And he's going to will he struggle to get the Liverpool job after that. I, I don't know. It's, it's hard. See, quickly on that is a Lampard route, not he's going to Rangers to replace Gerard. No, please, <laughs> please, <laughs> please, no, please, no. I want Neil Warnock to think it'll be a one good laugh. <laughs> Honestly, now, um, to be fair, right? Uh, so I am a bit of fan. I was a season ticket holder since I was six years old. Like, I have very close affinity to that team. Um, right. So, where I'll start. Firstly, I want to make one thing clear. I really didn't want. Um, Gerard to go to Villa. I I think a few things need cleared up because I think a lot of people in, in uh, say the media, a lot of people on online have put so much information out there that is just either really poorly looked into or just completely false. So um, everyone's pointed out Villa's finishing places in the last ten years. It should be worth noting that Villa have had four different owners in the last ten years. Out of those four different owners, we've changed three times. Our current one is actually. Very, very, very rich, the two multi-billionaires. Also, we should add the villa were literally two to three hours away from going into liquidation uh, when these new owners came in. 
So people are pointing out our finishing places. You need to take into consideration that Randy Lerner, when he left at the start of those 10-year period, he was desperately cutting prices left, right, and center. We then had a man from China called Dr. Zing, who, um, like his Bond villain name, <laughs> uh, no one knows anything about. We don't even know if he's a real man. Um, he came in. He had an asset strip. He then sold the ground to himself. We were on the brink of going bust when our now current owners took over. Uh, so I think that needs to be taken into consideration that these current owners are multi-billionaires. We, in FFP, which is only really effective in England, I know it's a joke with Man City, but because we sold Jack Grealish to Man City, we made £100 million pure profit because he was an academy graduate. Therefore, we have a genuine amount of money to spend and not just a, a made-up amount. The Villa team in itself has been massively hampered with injuries. The reason why Dean Smith went is, as Christian Perzel said in his interview, was since the turn of the year, we've lost 18 games. That's not this season, that's the overall year. So it is really, over this season, it is harsh if you look at the games he's lost. But if you take into consideration from the turn of the year, it, it, it kind of balanced itself out a little bit. Dean Smith is really difficult because Dean Smith was a Villa fan and he he had he got to live the dream every Aston Villa fan ever has of managing their team. Also, I think by by fault, every Villa fan were living their dream through him because he got to do what he was doing. And it is really, really difficult losing him the way we have. Most Villa fans that I've spoken to, and I've spoken to sadly quite a few. No one seems overly infused with Gerard. Now, I talk up Scottish football like mad. I am a massive Dundee United fan. I even wrote a book on Scottish football. Um, Gerard's achievements in Scotland, Ross is right. Like, he won that one title that was vital to him. The caveat is to that is that like, Count Davidson won more in one season than Gerard won over three. Count Davidson has a tenth of the budget Gerard has at best. I don't. I know a lot of other fans are not particularly enthused by this Gerard's manoeuvre. Uh, most people are viewing it as Christian Persil's sort of living out some sort of weird dream because they know each other from Liverpool. Um, however, Villa is a big club. It is a massive club. I mean, Villa, the 3,000 seats difference between Villa Park and Ibrox. Uh, Villa have won a European Cup. They've won two other European Cups. They've won the English title seven times. They are one of the oldest, proudest, most historic clubs in the UK. And I think the disrespect levels firing between the two sets of supporters at the minute is quite quite sad, to be honest. Um, Scotland, Villa have got incredible, incredible strong links to Scotland, like ridiculously strong. Like Villa's badge is a rampant lion in honour of its founding fathers who were Scottish. It, 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 it isn't a club that's... It's not a, with all due respect, the Brentford where I went or something like that. Like this is a club of genuine history, genuinely incredibly strong links to Scotland, like physically incredibly strong links to Scotland. <sighs> there is a history between uh, Rangers and Villa after Villa's after Rangers visit to Villa Park in the seventies. A lot of older Villa fans ever since have held them incredibly low regard. But back to Gerard as a person. For me, for Villa, I don't think it's the right move. I don't think... If you're going to sack a man who's a genuine boyhood supporter of that team, 
to replace him with a man that we all know, like everyone listening to this, everyone on this podcast knows, he's using this as a stepping stone to Liverpool. But none of us are stupid enough not to know that. And the fact that Villa seems to have taken him on knowing that this exists is a bit of a question for the Villa board that they need to answer, or Christian Bezel, to be exact, needs to answer. We all have our own theory on the fact that he's done it, but it does seem pretty poor. It seems poor from Gerrard's point of view because Gerrard's entire brand, if you will, is loyalty. Like He was always loyal to Liverpool. He turned down Mourinho when Mourinho was in his pomp. His brand is loyalty. He might not go to Villa. Personally, I hope he doesn't. Uh, but he might not go to Villa. But if he does, then I think Rangers have got what they wanted out of him. But I think it's the bigger loss for Rangers than I think our people are initially acknowledging. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think um, I, I don't want to see him go. I think he's still got a lot of things to achieve. Obviously, you bring up the kind of um, Carl Davis winning two cups last season and his, his record in cups is shite, to be quite honest. Um, again, we're club size of Rangers with the budget, but I think this season. I think he would have kind of tried to rectify that. Do you know what I mean? So I think he has got a lot of kind of, um, I say unfinished business, but do you know what I mean? He's, got, he's still got a lot to achieve in charge of the club. And I think he could have created, uh, obviously he's, he's achieved the kind of one thing I said that all Rangers fans wanted. Would you say it's a legacy if he leaves it now? Mm, I wouldn't say so. I think he's, he's won the one title, fair enough. Brilliant. And he's established us back to where yeah. I personally believe he belong, but I think it is going to be it's kind of like the Rodgers into Celtic it's it's going to be kind of slightly tainted for me and again it goes like best wishes he's, he's done he's, when, I've seen the starting lineups from like the last old firm um, before he took over and I mean that midfield five gives me nightmares that was it is thing. absolutely terrifying you've got whole you know, Jesus honestly it was so, I just ate flashbacks um, to take us from there to only losing, I think, I've been started one eight oh from Derby since then. I mean, that's doing uh, it's an incredible record of such a shock in a space of time. Um, yeah. But as you say, Jeff, I think it is just a stepping stone for Villa. He does really well. Wait, do you think he could do a kind of Rodgers at Leicester and get them kind of top six, win a cup? Do you think I mean, it's possible? The, the finances are there, right? So it. This is the thing that's been annoying is people have been looking at the past fixtures and not really taking into consideration the off-the-field crap, effectively, that we've had to deal with. I honestly... I don't actually know, to be honest with you. Like, I, I think I said to I think I said to you, like I texted you beforehand, saying, Villa's biggest weakness at the minute is their backline. One thing that Gerard has not really, in my opinion, improved greatly is his backline. He seems to collect attacking players and sort of forget about the back line, and then like, oh, oh we should probably defend that goal. Um, Villa have already done this. Villa have already collected every forward ever. <laughs> um, to be fair, like, last season, Rangers only conceded 13 goals in the league. I mean, that's a bit of record. So, I'm, fair enough, it was just a, kind of one of those seasons. Uh, I understand where you're coming from, but I mean, it's, this season's totally different when you look at how much we've conceded. But I think... I think... It, I think if you do get a man, he will. He could do really. He has the potential to do really well. But see, just quickly say, on that, sorry. Europe surely is what 
clubs down south are looking at. And his European record is must be one of the best of a manager that's been in Scotland for quite a while. To, over over like uh, what three years? I mean, his record in Europe is pretty good. I think at one point was he not? Did he not have? I think he only he hadn't lost at home in Europe until yeah. Uh, was it this season or that? He hadn't lost a home European qualifier for this season against Malmo. Um, so he his European pedigree is quite... I know Ross was saying that in Cups he's been shite, but realistically in European comp- competitions, so, which is effectively a Cup, he's, he's actually quite good. <laughs> the, problem is, is, the problem is, I think, for all of us, is that we really... The, the God's honest truth is no one really knows. Like his his um, performances at Rangers have been great. He has improved that side tenfold. It is genuinely a really good side. The problem is, is, with all due respect to the rest of the league, he isn't... You never really watch him and think he's... Trapped. Like, this season, I think, is it the last six games he's conceded first? Or Rangers conceded first, sorry. But they've still gone to win the game. I think the last one to stop him was Dundee United, who are, you know, world famous. But he... <laughs> You can't give teams in England a one-goal lead. We did it again. Villa have been doing it all season, and look, we've lost the last fight. It's it's we no. I think this is the biggest problem for Villa fans and for Rangers fans. There's, Rangers fans obviously want him to stay and go to Liverpool because he has been really good for them. Villa fans are viewing it as this is a guy that is a complete, realistically an unknown from England's point of view. His European record has been good. Um, I know this season hasn't necessarily been as good as the past couple of seasons, but it's still it's still been really good. Last season, when the pressure the pressure last season, I think, was confusing because it's not traditional football pressure. It's because obviously no one was in the stands, but therefore the pressure outside of the stands was intense. Um, so I think last season he proved that he can cope with that level of pressure, which we knew as a player he could cope with, but he also showed for the first time that he can do it over a 38 game period rather than. 16 games in Europe or, or, or whatever it may be. So he has started to show that like, he's adapted to it. At Villa, his European record will be, obviously, it's a, it's a bonus, but I don't honestly think he'll get into, into Europe with that Villa team just now. I don't. There's only seven places available. Uh, so he's required to smack into that top seven. Obviously, Spurs decided to take up seventh this year, but realistically, you're fighting over one place which used to be known as the Everton Cup, although Everton haven't won the Everton Cup in about 15 years. But he he's going to be fighting for one place, effectively, for Europa League. For Villa to smash the top, set, the top four would require a level of investment that the club are probably capable of doing, but not if they want to stay within financial fair play rules, which is obviously a different conversation for a different podcast. But it's really difficult to know, because like I said, I've said to you and Ross privately previously, if he does well at Villa, Villa know he's only going on to Liverpool. In, I think it's 2024 Klopp's contracts up. Whether he extends or not is a different matter, but 2024 roughly is obviously what I think most people acknowledge Gerard's working off. If he does well at Villa, fair play. If he does badly at Villa, then he'll be down to the likes of Derby County and Norwich within a year. And that's realistically, I think, where he's at. I've been wrong on yeah. managers before, so <laughs> don't take a word for it. But yeah, I, I don't, I'm not infused by it as a Villa fan, put it that way. I think because I watch, watch this space, it's international break. Maybe next week we'll have a clearer picture, and who knows what happens then. Maybe it'll be someone completely different. Right, let's get back to computer games. 
because football manager, but other things. Another question I had from uh, a listener. Did, and I've never even heard of this one before, I've played, I would say, majority of football games. Anyone ever play Kevin Tom's Football Manager? Or heard of it? No, right, okay, that's a terrible question. Uh, I'll sack him. Uh, He's a hipster. It's Donald. No surprise, Ross. He came up with this and I was like, looked at it, I was like, I wonder if he's got the name right. So, right, okay, scrap that. Other computer games, though. So, FIFA. We know about, we don't need to talk about that, but Sensible Soccer. Everyone played Sensible Soccer. I always thought Sensible Soccer was totally overrated. I never enjoyed it. I mean, I play, I, to be fair, it was Sensible World of Soccer was my first experience of a football management game, which I thought was amazing. But from actually playing the game, I was a, I was more of a striker man in my youth. Um and in, striker on this on the SNES, international superstar soccer. That was more it for me. The one like kind of going at like the management games is LMA manager. I know it is still popular, but always apart from like championship manager, football manager, I was addicted to that as well. And I still every now and again, um, especially when it was like lockdown last year, and I got my old PS2 and played LMA 2005, and it just took me back 15, 16, you know, it was just amazing how much you could leave a game for so long and then pick it up like nothing's changed ever. Like the world's totally stopped with this pandemic and I'm playing a game for 15 years ago. <laughs> and it was just amazing. Just I knew exactly who to sign for exactly what club. And I can obviously, I can't get ended in 2007, 2008, Elmi manager. Um, but I just think for that kind of three or four years, it was really big. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I'm old enough to remember playing the old championship manager on the Amiga. What that shows you my age. <laughs> that that's how I first was introduced to like proper like management games, and I was like, "Wow, what's this?" As I was saying earlier, like previously, that it was a Spectrum, which was for the young team. They were like, "What's a Spectrum?" But it was like so basic. You waited like half an hour. To load, you could your dinner might not be ready yet, and the game still hadn't loaded. But when it got to the Amiga, you were like, "What is this?" And yet, all it was was names of people effectively and clicking buttons. It was like it should be shit, like when you look at it. But it's amazing. Do you remember Ultimate Soccer Manager? Yes, that's the, that. That was the one that I was coming up with. I, I like that, and, you know, you could do stuff like buy, uh, you know, a food stand for outside the ground and stuff. That was, that's good fun. I mean, it's not what goes into football manager, but I know I, I liked it. Um, it's funny you say about just stats and stuff, going slightly off football uh, games, I, you know, games like the Elder Scrolls, I was playing Skyrim, until a friend of mine says, it's just a spreadsheet with graphics over it. And then like, the glass shattered. Couldn't play it ever again. <laughs> so, but, I'm, but could, I, I can't criticise spreadsheets. That's what, that's what we do. <laughs> I, I was at spreadsheets. It's not databases. Uh, well, no, it's kind of, it's just like, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> databases, <laughs> spreadsheets. It's just a lot of numbers and words uh, that makes <laughs> makes a bit of magic. I, I would say to my missus, I was interested in school. So, and this must have been why I was into it. So, 
at secondary school, I remember being like totally into statistics. Like as in like they had like career guidance people and they would say, what do you want to do? And I said something with statistics. I didn't know what. I was like, does something to do with that? Ah, oh, you won't. You can't do a job doing that. <laughs> it must have. It must have been because of championship manager, because I can't think of any other statistics I must have been looking at apart from maybe in FHM. <laughs> Sorry, it's true, joke. <laughs> Some folks <laughs> like, what? What's yeah. FHM? Oh, that's... I mean, I thought you were talking about like, a manager game. I'm like, two minutes of quick. I'm like, oh yeah. I never played, never played that one. Like... <laughs> it's so, it's so true though. I mean, you're absolutely right. People would go home and pour over things. I mean, I um, you know, before I got into that actual research of it, to to be better at championship manager too, I got like the Rothmans book. So I could find all the players and say, I want to sign him and, and all that. And it's it's incredible how it impacts upon people. And you can bet that every single football data analyst out there at every club must have be must have played football manager. It must influence them. And like I said earlier on, that's then having a greater influence on football. I mean don't get me wrong, I think over-reliance on like XG is a bit much. I mean, I, I don't know about you, Jeff, but I'm gutted that Dundee United are bottom of the XG table. I, I, I cry myself to sleep. It's okay, it's I, okay. Alan Burroughs <laughs> tells us we are good at the data. We're, we're Aberdeen, we're <laughs> data champions. We're, yeah. we're Celtic fans no celebrating the fact they were top of the XG table. I thought that was like, is that not a new old that they were kind of getting to? That was a bit... No, but Neil Lennon brought, uh, brought up as a defence, didn't he, once? Uh, we expected <laughs> oh. this, but you didn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, on football manager in a previous career that I used to used to do uh, uh, previously in life um, <laughs> football manager was one thing that was played and I, I genuinely mean this all the time it was the one thing that was played every off watch anyone ever had it was football manager I think it was done mostly because um, it's one of the few things that when you're away from home um, and you've got no contact whatsoever Football manager had this weird ability to drag you back to this one place. I say one place you're happy. Like no one's ever happy at Vanadise often, but it, it could drag you back to, to that place where you were and you were free, and it didn't matter about all the other rubbish that was going on around you. That you were you dragged back, and I know, um, I know for me personally that 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 helped, that, that that happened to me a lot. As um, I'd lie in my rack playing. Uh, football manager most of my off watch and then wake up and realise I should have probably gone to sleep four hours earlier than I did uh, but I know boys that were in like Afghan and stuff who, who used to play it religiously when they weren't on patrol and it's, it's mad that this one game um, which we all just use as a daffy game I had this incredible ability no matter where you were in the world it could drag you kicking and screaming back to where you were to the point where you'd go for scram and you'd be absolutely livid the fact that you've just been done over by Stanhouse Beer in the Champions Cup <laughs> and genuinely like spend you, the entire yeah, time just moaning people. I think that's a game, like we've all played games in the past, like through our lives and like a variety of kind of genres, but for me, it's the one game that I will never ever get bored of. I know as you get older, obviously, the time becomes like you have children, you have jobs, whatever else, you, you find it harder to play, but yeah. I've not played FIFA in about four or five years because it just gets to the stage that you play online. If you're just a kind of recreational player, there's always people so much better and you just go, what's the point? 
For a football manager, you can never, in my opinion, you can never ever get bored. Uh, as as Jeff says, sums up perfectly there. It just takes you back to certain times, or it just can can help you with anything. It just takes your mind off everything. Unless I, unless it gets to December, and you've got twelve games, and your squad struggling for fitness. You've got I injuries, know, I the window. Aye, injuries, fine, but... injuries, suspensions, and you're like, fuck. You actually feel the pressure of a manager. You're like, this must be what it's like when, I don't know, Derek McInnes, I'll use him, he's not in management just now, but who knows what just space. Um, he's sitting there in December and there's like five players injured and two suspensions and you're having to play someone you don't want to play. That's what it's like. It takes over you. Yeah, I would say it's escapism at its finest. I mean, the people who play football manager are people who love football, right? So it's pure escapism into football. And everybody who's into football has one uniting thing, which is that they all think they could do it better than the current manager of their own club. And it gives them the opportunity to do it. You know, it gives them the chance to be, do football how they do football, sign the player they want to sign. And, you know, I think it's fantastic. I, I do this because I love the game, you know. And I often think that, you know, I've been doing it for so long. People maybe ten year, five years, ten years older than me have this view of, well, you know, the only recreation worth doing is going to the pub. Or, you know, if it's not that sort of thing, what's the point? It's just a silly little game. It's not a silly little game to people who find it important in their life. And, you know, I've heard so many stories of people, like, like you were saying, Jeff, people when there's nothing else that they could do, you know, it's it's just almost a safe spot for them. It's there, it's consistent. And, you know, we do what we do because we're passionate about it. But it's great that it just impacts upon people's lives 99.99999% of the time very positively there's always the oh I got a divorce because a football manager he didn't really but you know blame that if you want <laughs> you know but yeah I just think yeah escapism and passion that's what why, why is that people play football manager quick question for the three of you right so one of my mates used to do this and you'll probably know as soon as I say it's a cup final I know what you're going to say <laughs> have any of the three of you gone right oh well I can't we have a civvies I need to go in the wardrobe and get the suit on. Uh, no, but no. what I do is do press conferences in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Sit there like, right, yeah. So we could have we could have been the more defensive there, but I'll be honest, it was bullshit referee decision. So, <laughs> do you know? I think the one thing that the the the, the it's a absolute privilege to do this that I do as you know, it's it's not a full time job. It's you know, it's, it's seen me through university and all that sort of thing. It's been great. The problem with it is I know how the sausages are made, so to speak. So I now can't play it without knowing, well, I'm going to sign him, him and him. And it's going to work. You That's know? okay. Once the podcast is finished, you can give us a few. <laughs> not not too many because it's always been about community, though. That's how I used to find out about players. Yeah. You would find some yourself. Then you'd go into community, the SIE, still as SIE. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You'd go on there and you'd find out about Kennedy Barkley, all glue. You'd find out about Julius Agawawa. I, I didn't pronounce that right, Agahawa. Uh, even Zlatan back in the day. I remember signing Zlatan when he was at Malbo, 17, for like about 250,000. And yeah. again, he was one of those 
he was a cheap player. You signed him, and pretty early he was doing the business. Sig Porson. This shows my yep. age definitely. Sig Porson. Kim Carlstrom. Yep, I know all these names. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the one that, that I've mentioned to some people before and they never got was there was a Colombian guy. And you signed him in the 16, 17. I was going to say, are you going to say Freddie Guarin? No, no, he was good. Yeah. It was, I can't remember the first name, but it was Cardenas. It might have been the same same era as Barclay Ogbu and Carlson. I think two of them came through at the same time. You could sign them both pretty cheap. Yeah. And your midfield was sorted with Kim, uh, Mark Kerr, Kim Carlson, Kennedy, Barclay Ogbu. Done. Yeah. So. But it goes back to what I was saying earlier that the football manager. Has be, it's become bigger business, of course it has, and it's it's taken it's taken very seriously in terms of what we have to do must be so accurate. But football itself has changed. Um, you know, people talk about oh, why can't United go and sign someone like Shell Olofsson, you know, a guy who was semi-retired as a wheelchair maker in a factory in Norway. But football's changed. For Celtic, they signed Moravchik at 36 years old, you know, um, because it used to be that football outside of this country was this kind of strange, mystical land where, if you know, you see it, it, the Italian football on the TV or whatever. Now, now you can go and watch pretty much any game in the world if you've got a Y Scout account. So that mystique goes and the ability to have players like Sigporson, it's a great example it wouldn't go past I would say the proofreading stage unless he's definitely going to be that good so it's just, it's one of the great it's great the football manager is such an accurate thing but that's my only thing, I think it's taken away from those big names and when people talk about their favourite football manager players they're thinking about 20 years ago when we didn't quite get it right. Uh, to be fair, like, some of my absolute favourite football manager players are the ones that <laughs> have sort of gone on to making a career, but have... <laughs> well, football manager, they never really made it. So uh, Lawrence Shankland was a good one. I used to like uh, that that because he's still, Gordon from our game, still playing at Stern uh, Albion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't believe he is at the minute. Uh, but um, so I always found a couple of the, um, I always found like the ones that did go on to have a career, but later on in life had a career. Mm-hmm. They were the ones that used to make used to make me smile because I don't know about everyone, right? Obviously, uh, the new one is out, so go buy the new one. But I, for predominantly for ages and ages and ages, were using one for 2012, so 2013, and um, it, I always used to. <laughs> I think everyone probably does this. You take over a club, and then the players that you bounce off because they clap. Every so often, you'd like you look at the scores for games. You're like, ha, I thought that boy was utter rubbish. <laughs> I signed John McGinn. John McGinn uh, obviously has gone on to be quite well. However, according to my game, he's still playing at Queens Park, and uh, <laughs> I signed him on a free from from St John from St Mirren. <laughs> um, if he if he's listening, he's a signed shirt. Uh, no, um, so, <laughs> so I like I like what there, right, there's kind of so many people. Stuart obviously may know more about me or about this than anyone else but there was um, a few folk on Twitter doing it their own kind of databases and there was a guy uh, Mad Scientist I think his name is and he was doing and I think he'd done like one 
for every kind of addition they threw manager was coming out. So I think it was I think it was lockdown last year. I think it was 2007-2008. And it was just good to kind of have a change of a career and play, like, pick a team and you've got all these players from that kind of season. Do yeah. you know what I mean? And it just, like... You kind of remembered your favourite players from that year, and I think the one before was um, 2003, 2004, and I, I had a shot at managing Arsenal and Henry. Like I'm not an Arsenal fan, but Thierry Henry is one of my favourite players ever. And just seeing, kind of going back in time, like 10 or well, 15 years, I thought it was just amazing. And there's just so many things people are doing now with the game and the databases that it's becoming probably even more playable if you want a kind of different challenge as well. Instead oh, yeah. of just managing in the current season, you could obviously go back and like, people are amazing at what they do. Absolutely incredible doing stuff. And you know, there's so many, <laughs> so many talented people, not just within the Scottish database. I mean, I can't I can't not take it just a second to say wouldn't be anything without the team who work with me. You know, I've had guys with me for 20 years, you know, volunteering their time because they love the game. And you know, otherwise you you see other games where the data is just to take it off of transfer market or something. It's a labour of love for so many people, and that's what's great. But it's also a labour of love for people like with Scotland. There's guys who are making sure that every Caribbean team has all the right players. These teams are never going to be playable out the box. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't make economic sense, I suppose, for every team in the league in the world to be in this game. But, but with that competition editor, if you want it, it's there for you. So you can play, you know, I, I'm sick of playing in Scottish Premiership. I'm going to try and take a team to the top of the Yemeni League. You can do it. It's amazing. You know, it's it's incredible. And it's so many people putting in so much work. Uh, and again, it is a labour of love. And, but it's, what I've always loved about it is, like you say, every game is a time capsule. You put on one from 10 years ago and you think, I'll think of it from the did I get it right or did I get it wrong? But you'll you players will think, God, in this game I signed him. You know, I remember that one player gave me so much joy because he scored hundred goals. You know what I mean? Which is great. You know, it's fantastic. Talking of time capsules, so I'm going to go back to 2001, 2002. Here, I used to sit eight hours a night, pretty much every night playing it. Now, it was the only time I would move is for to go to the toilet. It would have been great if Manscaped was around in 2001, <laughs> 2002, because as guys, we all know when you sit for a while, you get the batwing. I take it you know what batwing is. No, I can imagine. <laughs> no, never heard the batwing expression. Like, no. think about it. When they, your boss yes. sticks to the inside of your legs, right? Okay. Yep. So, if you've got Manscaped back then and you can get it now, You've got the ball bronzer. You can freshen it up, deodorise. You can get the old lawnmower 4.0 out, shave, put in parts. You can even do the FM logo, actually, if you were really precision trimming. So if you want to do this, any of this, and it's good just now if you've got the people that are like playing it for eight hours a night, like I used to when I had, well, before I was married, then SFF Podcast, capital letters, 20% free shipping, get involved, and football matters will be even better for you because you'll not have the battling. So, there we go. Maybe a part... Every time. I, I'm telling you, man, like, it, it just comes to me. It's magic. 
But maybe, I don't know, maybe like Football Manager and Manscaped could get together as well, as long as they still pay us money, because it's a paid partnership. We need to say that. Yeah. There's a, that's a perfect, uh, that's a marriage made in heaven. I will pass that one on. <laughs> I'll run it upstairs. <laughs> you can use it, though. You can that's use true, it. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, there we go. Um, but yeah, no, actually, it would be ideal. So, there we go. Did anyone ever start I kind of push for time, but we'll quickly ask: anyone ever start unmanaged careers, or always uh, start a team? Yeah, I did once, uh, and I ended up as bit the manager, uh, and I still am, which is impressive. Uh, and Kenny Duker was uh, was telling me that he wanted to leave. <laughs> doctor Duker, uh, yeah, the good doctor. He was telling me that uh, he was telling me that he wanted to leave Britain because he felt it wasn't improving his career. So he had a doctor me. Job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ross, Ross, you ever started out as unmarried? I tried that get, times, get a job. Nah, it's, it, you get at the start. Every every year is to buy the game, and that was always my first. Like I'll start unmarried, then unemployed, and I'll see if I get. And I'd always get to like October, November, and I just get bored. So we just go and like start a game again and go whoever else. So I've never actually done it the proper way, if you know what I mean. Although I did used to like, I don't know if you, any of you guys used to do it, like manage the club side and then take over the national side at the same time. Yeah. yeah. I used to love doing that with the kind of getting the pool players going through, like, obviously this is before <laughs> you were married or had kids when you had so much time on your hands, but it was just so good just combining two jobs. I used to love that. I've done that in years, actually. Did you become biased though and pick some of your own players that you were? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Aye, definitely. definitely. Aye. Oh, thank you. Just the Scotland squad too, right? Me Celtic. Get Kerry Duke straight in that Scotland team. <laughs> you will stay many, with me. How many goals? How many goals did he score for Scotland, Kerry Duke? Yeah, well, you career. Oh, about twenty. He was a good, he was a good striker. He, he, was, he was going fantastic, and then he, he pulled a hamstring and dropped him. And he just didn't talk to me after that, and it was a bit was quite emotionally upset for that. One day I'm going to pop into him in real life and he's going to, I'm not going to talk to you. Just, just, just don't talk to me. <laughs> I, <laughs> he was, just uh, he was talk, talk to me you talk to him, tell him that you used to talk about him in the toilet. <laughs> see them, see them, see them news conferences when he was being awkward, <laughs> that, honestly. Like, I don't understand what his problem is. Um. <laughs> uh, right, we're going to finish off with our, our best 11 here. We're going to ask Stuart our best 11. So this is going to be a slightly different best 11. Usually we would have like a Dundee United best living, a team best living, a team support. It's football manager, right? So the one we're going for, we were originally going to try and go for like the best wonder kids of the era of football manager. But I think we've sided with players who didn't necessarily become stars in real life, but were like insane in game. So that is what we're going for. So this is the showstopper, like... No pressure, Stuart. No, no. So I'm kind of, we've named a few of these names already. So I might, no, I won't tweak it too much. But some of the guys who were must, initial must signs, and some of them you might not actually, some of them you'll know, one or two you might not remember. So this goes all the way back to Championship Manager 2 for the goalkeeper, uh, Kevin Miller of, I think it was Watford. And he had both 20 for shot-stopping and reflexes. So every time, he was my first goalkeeper to buy. Right? I'm going to go with the back three. 
I'm going to go with Taribo West. Regardless of whether you were Dunfermline or Barcelona, you could sign him and he'd be first first pick. A wonder kid that didn't quite uh, you know, come up scratch was Anthony Van Den Boer. I don't know if any of you signed him. Um, signed him for everybody, everybody, yeah. right back. He was amazing. Yeah. Became the best defender in the game, probably. Yeah. He could play anybody. He could play centre-back as well. So that's why I've got him in the three. A name that, I don't know if he'd be a world-class player, but if you're playing in Scotland, for one game many, many moons ago, a boy called Gareth Jellyman. You could sign him for about £10,000 and he would be tremendous. Midfield, uh, four of them are, I would say, well-known and one of them maybe not so much. So on the right, I've got Freddie Adu. Can't, yeah. you, can't, you can't have it without Freddie Adu. Pele. Yep. The football manager Pele, basically. Yeah. Um, there was, I think there was something about how... The thing about him was he was 16, but then the question was asked a bit later on, was he 16? I think people asked the same about Tariba West. I think he ended up being about 50 or something. <laughs> Insane. But, yeah, he... Um, he was, and he's probably one of the first football manager stars, I would say. And he's still spoken about to this day. I'll put in Willie Howie because he was just underneath Mark Gare and he never amounted to anything as far as I'm aware. Don't even think he amounted to anything at Partick. Yet somehow, and you know, I'm in charge of getting that into the game. So I'm, I'm holding my hands up. I don't know what <laughs> went on there. But uh, I signed him. Payment, payment is your pal when he slapped you <laughs> a few quid. Yeah, no. Although, <laughs> do, do you know what? Uh, to slightly digress, I once had an East Stirlingshire player um, t- uh, send me a direct message on Twitter complaining that he didn't have like 28 or 20 for finishing. Like, all right, mate, calm down. Um, <laughs> Mark Kerr, you can't not have Mark Kerr. Boo and all that. Not our fault. Blame the, the way the game was scored. Um, I'll do a back pass. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Don't don't get me started. The pain is still there. Let's let's move on. Um, Freddie Guarin, loved him. I always signed him regardless of what club. Uh, I played fantastic Colombian midfielder on the left wing. Uh, he didn't. He he got as far as Spurs, I think. Matty Etherington. Anyone remember that name? Yeah, yeah. He was a must sign wing, and I think it was like. Um, he was Charlton or something actually on the midfield front before anyone kind of knew him Neil Lennon was a wonderful signing as well everybody would say Neil Lennon probably not now but back in those days they would I remember Freddie Guarin ended up at Inter though so he did not bad he did pretty yeah. well but yeah. not, not not football manager world class best not world class ever. And, and when when he was at that kind of in his pomp in the game he was like at some small club in Colombia, as far as I'm aware. Yep. Up front, you couldn't have a game in Championship Manager 3 without sending Andre Sigborson. You know, yes. KR Reykjavik um, could sign for anyone in the world. Never heard of him in real life. I don't even no. know. I, in, in a world where, you know, what is it, one in 52 men have a chance of playing for the, the Icelandic national team? I don't think he actually got as far as that. So, you know, and one of my greatest mishaps 
Stephen McConnell up front Stephen. as well. Stephen McConnell, he was he, he was a United youth player. I know, I remember him. I remember yeah. him in real life. He scored more goals at youth level than anybody else up to that point in history. But he was just a wee short guy who didn't make any impact whatsoever at first team level. Wait a minute, where's Channel Samba? Never signed him myself. I never signed him. I never signed Tomadira, who was a fake player that was put oh, in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I, I downloaded, like Ross was saying, I about downloading the the old games. Yeah. And everyone was saying back it. So I looked back, just, just out of interest, to see who people did sign, even though I remembered some of them. And he was one of those, like, I don't, even, I don't ever remember seeing him at all. Yeah. I, but I never signed him. I, probably, I would have signed, I think it was the same year, Sig Pawson. So I'd have yeah. had Sig Pawson and probably, I think maybe Samba. Might have been about that same year. Yeah, you've Hopefully. got Tonton Zolo Makuku. He was, uh, he was one of the players you could sign. Mike Duff, Ibrahim Bafioko, all these guys. Cherno Samba, in fact, ended up playing on a five-a-side team with Sports Interactive staff down in London. Brilliant. That's brilliant. They, they called themselves FC Cherno Samba, and he went and played for them one day. But I, for whatever reason, he passed me by. Never signed him. Probably because I signed Sick Borson. Aye. Ross, any players clearing emissions from your careers that you can think of? To be fair, I've just been thinking the last five minutes, and my mind has honestly went totally blank. I think because I've not played it and joined so long. Yeah. Like, I remember obviously signing, like, I think it was um, Championship Manager 3 or 4, like, Carlos Tevez. Obviously, it was kind of well, I know he's well known now, but back in the time, he was still kind of raw. Um, and he was absolutely incredible in that game. And there was just a few kind of guys from the kind of earlier ones. Whereas later on, you, you kind of try and, I don't know about you, but the last few saves I've had, I've kind of tried to obviously take a lower league team up. But when I was younger, I used to always just get to the stage of go, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to just see how far I can take this. <laughs> but as <laughs> I've got older, I'm, I'm just kind of like, now nah, I'm going to be, I'm going to play it serious. So I never really had proper like what it used to be like back in the day. Do you know what I mean? Aye. Um, but no, I'm, I think, I'm honestly, I'm racking my brain here. You have a thing, Jeff. Anyone for you that's you would have had in there from your careers? Uh, no, not really. Like it's just you know, nailed every single one of them. To be honest, I, I honestly can't think of the. Nah, uh, lately I've been playing the ones where it's like a challenge. So like teams that like have got a really tough budget or uh, are uh, bottom of the league or stuff like that. That's the ones that intrigued me recently. Um, but no, not off the top of my head. I can't, can't really think of anyone realistically. Aye. I'd not heard of Miller, the keeper. I can't remember who I must have signed as a keeper back then. Jellyman's not one I'd heard of, but if he was a... Was he a real player or was he a Regan? Yeah, no, he was. He was a real player. I'll Give me a second. I'll find out who he played for. <laughs> I just um, remember uh, I asked the English team at the time, who should I... You know, who's good? And they said uh, Jellyman. So he would have been at Peterborough United. He, he had a great career. Peterborough, Boston United, Mansfield Town... Russian and Diamonds and Barrow. Oh, Lewis Buxton was a good player. Centre-back. Remember, remember that. Lewis yep. Buxton. But yeah. The, the keeper you're on about, uh, this is a little bit off topic. There was a show with Ron Atkinson uh, where he was like called in as a manager. 
and he came into Peterborough United. And that keeper you're on about was the keeper there yeah. during the aforementioned show. It is on, I cannot remember the life, the life of me. I think it's called, called Big Ron, something like that. Jeff Sterling did the voiceover for it. It's honestly, it is brilliant. Well worth a watch. But yeah, that was the keeper. That was at Peterborough at the time. But yeah, it's just a side note. But yeah, it's, it's definitely worth watching. Cool. So um, as is tradition, we have run an extra time, not far off penalties. We were originally going to schedule 90 minutes. We could easily talk about football as our for hours easily. We probably never spoke about it as quite enough actually tonight because we get sidetracked by the Rangers situation. So thank you, Stuart, for coming on. Hope you enjoyed no, it. No problem. Yeah, I am far more awake from when I first started. <laughs> first started the call. I was genuinely worried. I was through there watching TV. Like I'm going to fall asleep here. But no, you've. You've got the brain going, and I didn't even spend any time telling everyone how shit Mickey Mellon was for United last season. So, <laughs> no, uh, we can do that in our time. Right. But Tab Quartz is that you, Mickey Mellon's like so last year, and if yes. United, and Tab Quartz is the success story of the season potentially. But that's maybe another podcast for Jeff and Stuart at some point, depending how your season goes, because well, it's been a good first half. It has. One thing I would say, just I, I kind of just like you, I sat back during the, the Gerard debate. One thing I would say, because we were thinking about this as a team on how to rate, it's difficult to rate the coaches now, but the managers in football manager. And it's, I kind of feel that managers are much of a muchness, except if they're a bad manager, and there's a few of them, or a particularly good one. And I'll say this. I think the best manager in Scotland is Dick Campbell, and I won't I won't hear any arguments against that. Yeah, everyone likes Dick. Uh, on that note, thanks, Jeff, as well, for coming on again. Everyone's to buy the book. Just remind everyone again the name of the book. We know what it is, but remind everyone else. Yeah, it's uh, Scotland's Lost Clubs, and it is available at most decent bookshops, apart from Amazon, where it's sold out. And Ross, pleasure as always. Well, I say always twice this season, but you know I, what I mean? You, I'll get there. I'll be getting there. Aye, I exactly. Thought, I, I thought Donald was coming on the night as well. Aye, aye. This was like right up his street, a hipster podcast. I must have made more appearances than him now, so I can overtake him in there. I, th- I think you're, I think you're level. I think you're equal. Yeah. yeah. I thought yeah. it was going to be above somebody. Couple of yeah. caps. You might, we might have two caps each. I think this season. Yeah, good luck to Scotland for the double header. So good luck to Scotland. We should say. That we've had two podcasts and not my talk much about Scotland. I don't know whether we're still like shit. We might qualify for a cup, so we're not trying to tempt fate. Let, let's just see what happens next week. Um, and thank you. Good night. Good evening. Good morning. And oh, bye, football manager as well. By the way, we should say that. Bye, <laughs> bye, football manager. Yeah, please do. As, yeah, as long as your laptop, or, but you can buy it various different ways: handheld, Xbox, Switch. PC, your laptop, like if you've got a device, pretty much you can play it. One thing I will say is if you've got the Xbox Game Pass, uh, it's on that. So um, you know, if you subscribe to the Xbox Game Pass, you'll get Football Manager for free. So if you've ever thought about trying it, there's your chance. Well, I had it last year on the Xbox and it was good, but I, did, I couldn't commit enough time to it. I felt it was like a hybrid of the handheld and the full version, but I might do that then. I did but see you, that earlier. I did read you, it earlier. I think I might be wrong, but I think with the Game Pass, you can also get it for the PC, but on the Game Pass because the oh, Game I, Pass works on both now. So it's inc- incredible. 
if you system requ- system requirements for the old uh, laptop PC, unfortunately, at the moment. I need to find out. I need to research it. My yeah. work's on my new laptop, so maybe I can try and. Uh, yeah, put your right. laptop in your microwave. Cut. Cut. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, cheers, guys. Thank you. Right. Cheers. cheers. <laughs>